Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Sorry, Charlie P. Seventy Nine. Very sorry, Dar. <laughs> ah, anyway, now he's given away again. Who's in the room and spoiled it for people? Oh. <laughs> Let me run down who's in the room today. It's Mister Charlie P. Seventy Nine. Well, Gene Genie lives on a hill. Yeah, hello everybody. <laughs> lives. Hey, hey. <laughs> Joining us is Mr. Dar Skeptical. Fancy that. Fancy that indeed. <laughs> uh, a lot of fun to be had at Dave's expense today. Eh, it was worth taking a day off, wasn't it? <laughs> also joining us is Mr. Benjamin Elliott. Hello, Benjamin. Hello. Matt Smith era is one year old today. Who brought cake? <laughs> I got some cake left up from the cast party last night. <laughs> All right. Before I go and fetch some cake. Also joining us is Mr. Tim Jerry. Talking of cakes, yesterday I was eating cake, cakes with Tardises on the front, and there were various cosplayers with us, and one of them even had a mop. Oh, did they have a fez? Several of us had fezes, including me. Yeah, there you go. Dave, fez in the photo. Yeah, on the bridge, yeah. All right, also joining us. On audio for a change, as well as girl. Hello, darling. Hi, everybody. Hey. <laughs> hey. Would they, yes, there are females on this show. We're not just pulling your leg when we say they're in the chat. Yeah, where's Logan when you want him? <laughs> Beg your pardon? The point, to prove the, <laughs> to prove the point, to prove the point, oh. he's always yeah. bragging about well, his well, following of young ladies. I'd say where's Harry, but last I caught from her on Twitter is she was contemplating her navel. Yes, yes, and and the contents were in. Uh, 
Okay, last but not least, it's Mr. Randall for... Hello, Mike. Hello, I have some cakes and cookies in Minecraft that I've made recently. <laughs> Sadly, Do you I have can't... belly button lit? Sorry, go ahead. I can Sadly, here. I can't eat the cookies and cake in real life, though. Darn it. <laughs> no, but does it have belly button lint? Not yet. I'm sure Notch will get to that eventually. Really? <laughs> All right, that's everybody with audio. It's time to lower the cone. Controls, new agent training program, section 3.5, the cone of silence. To activate, simply lower the cone and speak clearly. What? Do not overuse the cone of silence. What? Do not shout in the cone of silence. What? In fact, don't even use the cone of silence. What? It's never worked right. I don't know why we bought it in the first place. The portable cone of silence. What? Yes, and yep. as he has stated in the text chat, Cybob is alone in the cone. Ooh. Poor lad. Won't some guests come join poor Cybob under the cone? Ha-ha. I'm sure the Shiping Monkey will look after him. Yes, yes. Uh, as soon as he's done whatever it is he's doing in the lab, we still haven't found that out. Hmm. Must get back to that at some point, I guess. All right. There's only one other person to introduce, and that's the Typing Monkey. It's news time. Oh, Tappy Monkey, go. There we go. And first up with news, it's Mr. Benjamin Elliott. Okay. Now, some people may have heard that I've mentioned there'll be an announcement. Well, that's after the news. Uh, for the actual news, a number of networks have announced their Doctor Who plans for the spring. Uh, Space in Canada is going to begin airing the new season of Matt Smith episodes on Saturdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, starting the 23rd of April, which is the date that the premiere is expected in the U.K., at one hour earlier in the evening than the U.S. broadcast on BBC America. Australian network ABC One will air the show Saturdays at 7.30 p.m., beginning on April 30th, one week after the U.K., U.S. and Canada, and BBC America has listed their schedule out into early May, and it appears that Doctor Who will be airing weekly at 9 p.m. and not having a two-episode premiere over Easter, as some people were wondering, at least if BBC America's schedule holds forth. Uh, BBC America is doing a documentary at 8 p.m. on the 23rd, trying to catch people up on Doctor Who. And on the 30th at 10 p.m., they'll have a special on uh, American Doctor Who fandom. Uh, the Radio Free Scarrow people were contacting Space, trying to find out if Canada was going to get the specials. I hadn't heard anything back on that. And if you are one of the lucky people who has a PBS station that airs Doctor Who, uh, the Matt Smith episodes became available to the PBS stations with the Doctor Who contracts this weekend. So... A handful of stations began airing it Friday and Saturday, and some more will pick it up as they get to the end of their current cycles of Doctor Who. So if you have one of the 12 to 14 uh, PBS networks of Doctor Who, you're in good shape. And if you know a PBS station that says we'd like to carry Doctor Who and other British shows, but we have no idea who to contact, as apparently at, there are PBS stations that don't know where the syndicator is, 
send them to bbcprograms.com, and they can work it out from there. You'd think they'd know how to contact one of their syndicators, but apparently some actually don't. Okay. And he's done. (laughs) (laughs) Catch me reading a web page, why don't you? All right, moving on. Next with news, it's Mr. Darth Skeptical. Well, lots of news today in the world of film. Uh, The first thing up, uh, Collider.com is telling us that Leonard Nimoy is not, in fact, quite retired, as we thought he was last year. He's going to be coming back to voice Sentinel Prime in the next Transformers movie, which, if you care about Transformers, apparently is a big deal. I don't, so it doesn't register anything to me. I doubt I'll be going, since, you know, the first two Transformer movies were apparently pretty bad. Uh, But nevertheless, this is big news if you like Transformers. Uh, In the world of Warner Brothers franchises... Uh, First, a fun little item, if you happen to grow up in an era when you knew who the Harlem Globetrotters were, uh, the Globetrotters being a sort of trick basketball team that would come to localities around North America and uh, demonstrate their prowess with a basketball, always playing the Washington Generals, who were a competent enough basketball team, but who were no match in the end for the Globetrotters. Um, we're going to be getting, apparently, a trio of movies relating to the Harlem Globetrotters, as long as the first movie works out well enough. Um, the Globetrotters in the 70, late 70s, early 80s uh, appeared with a number of other Warner Brothers franchises. So there was Gilligan's Island, or the Harlem Globetrotters meets Gilligan's Island. There was uh, Harlem Globetrotters meet Scooby-Doo, and there was Harlem Globetrotters meet Batman. And these are all... Well, I think the the Gilligan's Island, I think, is actually a live-action thing, but the other two are um, sort of beloved episodes of their respective uh, animated series. And they're going to be making these into live-action things so as to bring the Harlem Globetrotters, I guess, into the 21st century. I find that utterly bizarre and fascinating, but it goes along with the recent trend of you know, the last decade of everything in the world that was in my childhood is suddenly a movie franchise or a television franchise once again. Well, you we know also what it is. They, they assume that people of your generation have now got money and want to spend them on their toys. Well, absolutely. <laughs> That's, I mean, that's entirely what it's about. Um, well, it's not entirely about that. They also want to try to keep, you know, they want to get new people in, obviously, too. But they know that, you know, if I'm a parent and I have a kid, that I'm going to go to see this thing because I remember it from my childhood, and hopefully that'll inculcate my child. Uh, we also have from things more associated, I guess, you know, with uh, Warner Brothers within the genre of stuff that we normally cover, News about what Warner Brothers is going to do with their comic book franchise in film uh, now that we have a new head at Warner Brothers. And apparently this new guy leading Warner Brothers is going to be doing something really weird. Um, He's going to be making the films very much like the comic books were in that we're going to have several different continuities running at the same time. It's a big risk but it could lead to 
the potential of actually having on film, in live action, an exploration of the thing that makes the DC Universe the DC Universe, and that is the multiverse. It may be that at some point, instead of what Marvel is doing on their side of having you know, a Hulk movie, an Iron Man movie, uh, a Thor movie, a Captain America movie, and then having an Avengers movie, which brings all of those actors from the individual movies into one giant combined movie, what instead is going to happen on the DC side is that we're going to have a new Superman movie, um, and at, very soon after that, like the year after that, we're going to have a Justice League movie, but the two Supermen will not be the same. This leads to the possibility, and it's the same thing with Batman. We had thought that you know maybe we were going to get uh, Christopher Nolan's Batman into the Justice League, but that will not be happening now. Instead, we will get a totally new Batman in Justice League, which leads to the possibility that one day there will be a movie in which you have um, uh, Christian Bale, the Christopher Nolan Batman, up against whoever the Batman is in the... Justice League Batman series, which is entirely consistent with the DC Universe in comic books, but is something that has largely been you know, um, avoided in other media until, really, season 10 of Smallville, uh, which does have an episode dealing with the, the, the multiverse. Um, so, I, I, you know, I don't know what to feel about this. On the one hand, I think it's... You know, I, I I think it's good to have some consistency like Marvel are doing, and I thought that's what we were going to do on the DC side as well. On the other hand, the true DC geek inside of me says, hell yeah, this is, you know, potentially very good. Um, and even if they never have a movie um, that actually combines two different Supermen in it, at least what this does is it still leaves open the possibility that Tom Welling may one day still be Superman because they still have to cast Superman for this Justice League movie and at some point I, I really would like for the guy to do it if he wants to do it. Oh, I'd um, like him, yeah. Which which is a big if apparently, but but you know, he got passed on for the the individual Superman movie that's coming out in 2013 or 12, I forget which. And um so this leaves open now another casting opportunity for Tom Welling if he'll take it, and if they offer it to him, it would be fabulous. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, so, good things coming out there. We also have uh, just a, a travesty, I think. Well, well, let me stay with Warner Brothers. Um, apparently, Warner Brothers is seriously considering, now that they have finished the Harry Potter movies, of going back and doing them all again. Only this time, dramatizing things that didn't get dramatized initially. So for all those of you who, who've read the books and who lamented the fact that, you know, X movie didn't contain, you know, these chapters of the book, there is apparently under consideration the idea of completely recasting the series with kids again, totally new kids, doing again eight movies, only this time it's like, part two of each film, if that makes any sense at all. So you're going to be able to have two movies associated with each movie that's come out before. Only one of them is going to star the, the Radcliffe kids, for lack of a better term, and the other movie that will come out in, in the next decade will deal with 
the same, am I making any sense? The same book, but uh, using totally different characters and using totally different situations from that book. So you put the two films together, for instance, the 2010 version of, oh, what the hell is the movie that's out right now? It definitely um, yeah, Death, yeah. yeah. So the Deathly 2010 Hallows version of right, the 2010 version of Deathly Hallows Part One will eventually be followed, perhaps in 2020, by Deathly Hallows Part One A. And so you put those two things together, and you'll come up with the totality of what was in the first part of the Deathly Hallows. It, Fine it example is, of what's known as milking it. Well, I, you can say that. Uh, on the other Especially hand, with I, the recasting, Darth, because there's people who are really big fans of those actors now. I suppose, but I, I do know that, you know, the people in my life who are in the target age range for this thing are largely really upset at the movies because the movies have taken away quite a bit of what they loved of each one of these particular stories. And I would think that they would be very excited by the possibility that one day they might have the entire story in the same way that, you know, I hoped as a child that one day I would get the entire story of Star Wars. And it may I, take I forever. I want the entire story, but with the cast. I wouldn't want it all well, recast. Yeah, but it wouldn't be consistent if you have to watch one film and then suddenly watch another film with an entirely different cast to get the rest of the plot. Yes, but Tim, I mean, yeah. clearly that's not possible. I mean, that's... Yeah. It's well, never going to happen. Well, no. two, th- two thoughts occurred to me. One would be that... Um, they could do these extra ones as uh, an animated series so that the original cast could voice it. Or the other one would be to at least wait a, a respectable amount of time uh, and then start... Because, I mean, the, and, and when did the first one come out? Is it, is it about eight years ago? It's a long time ago now. 2000-something. Wow. 2001. Wow. So, yeah, but who knows what Warner Brothers' options are, though, yeah, on... Yeah. You know, they may have to do it this soon because, of course, of t- yeah. You know, their their rights may revert to Rowling, so who knows? Isn't but, there also a possibility? I thought it was mooted that she may consider writing another book about Harry Potter, which of course would scupper this idea, wouldn't it? Because they would obviously want to carry on with the franchise. If she wrote, depend, depends uh, where uh, the book came, uh, continuity-wise. Plot. Well, it'd be that? making his way in the world, wouldn't it? After. Not necessarily. No. Not necessarily. Do you not know how it ends, Dave? No, I've never read them. I don't and know. Neither have I, but I heard the spoilers off people who did. Well, I don't, I'll let... Okay. It's, it's, it's perfectly possible to avoid spoilers on Harry Potter's ending. That's not been hard at all. I don't know what it is either, and I, I actually like the thing. Not, not when you have people who obsess about it and you had an MSN friendship with them yeah. at the time. I also That's think, of course, each, yeah, I also think each film has its own ending in a way. So the films I've seen, I've seen the ending to those films, which has been a chapter, hasn't it, or a, you know, a, a thing. But once we finish I mean, the recording, if Charlie P seventy nine wants to spoil me about that, I, I'll hmm. happily let him. But personally, I've watched the films, enjoyed the films, and I've been gradually enjoying the the books via Stephen Fry's excellent audio readings. And going, ah, so that's what they missed out. And not really being that bothered that they missed it out. Well, you, that's, that's your opinion. But I know a lot of people who are 
really quite upset that certain scenes, especially in like the third and fourth movies, there are a right. ton of people who are total fans of Harry Potter who think that those movies are a travesty for what they left out. So this is this is actually potentially serving a hungry audience. Yeah, I think there's a better way. If you think if they did it as a television series instead, and simply that that a television medium instead of a movie medium, simply uh, like one season per book, and just the number of episodes needed to tell the book story, and just did a new cast but a different medium. I think that way you would please fans of the books and fans of the movies, and get a new round of merchandising. Yeah. Plus, uh, right, so, it'd be much, it'd be much easier I to think I'd be happy with that because started. that way you could just tell the whole story of each book. Well, you know, I have actually slightly misrepresented what's going on here, and it's it, they aren't actually doing every single one of the books. What they're proposing, and, and again, it's just a proposal at this point. They don't have a script. They don't have anything. Um, but the proposal is that there will, in fact, be a, a trilogy, not you know seven, eight movies, but a trilogy really focusing on the material that was in books three and four. The missing adventures, uh, is it? <laughs> you're missing, and they're going to be calling them Hogwarts, like year one, year two, year three. Right. Which, you know, that, that sounds I, I, I agree that like a television series would be fascinating if they were to do that. And that would, you know, certainly the books lend themselves to episodic television. Um, but this is, you know, a way to take a second bite of the apple without that second bite being a remake. And right. I can appreciate that. I think as well, if they, certainly if they did them at their younger ages, that would w- translate better to TV because they might have to water down some of the frightening elements anyway. And that would suit, presumably, the younger uh, end of the story where you know they're just learning magic and so on. But what, one thing that, I mean, I assume... We're not in a situation like Lord of the Rings where they brought out the extended versions because they'd actually filmed those extra bits, but they hadn't made it to the final film. I don't suppose it's a question they've got an extra half hour's footage for each of the films that, that have already made it, and they can bring extended versions out. Well, they may be able to do that, but they don't. That wouldn't be doing what this proposal is. No, trying I realize to do. that. Yeah. Um, I don't know that they, how much material they have. They, if they're smart, they do have something else left around so that you know they can issue 25th anniversary or 50th Director's anniversary course, yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, they at least in terms of what the script apparently was. No, they. I mean, they don't have anything close to what they're proposing here. So. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think it's interesting. It could it could work. But there's that, and then um, there's a, another little thing talking about franchises that have been sort of used and overused over the years. Uh, Disney has bought... Like, this is crazy to me. Disney has bought the rights to Miss Marvel. Agatha Christie's Miss Marvel. Oh, I saw that. Uh, oh, yes, I heard and, about this. And they're going, to cast, they're going to cast Jennifer Garner... <laughs> And they're going Electra. to Electra, exactly, because clearly she's got a track record you really want, and um, you know make stories with Miss Marvel being younger, being the age of uh, Jennifer Garner now, which is something they're around forty, as opposed to around seventy, and 
But that's know, entirely ruining the whole reason why Miss Marple is good in the first place. Kind of. Uh, but it's there, it's on the table, it's for real, and apparently it's going to be happening. Or Disney will have uh, made a loss. Um, I don't know. I, I'm always interested in reboots and looking to see how things are done again. I don't know that Gen- Jennifer Gardner does not excite me. The 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 idea of you know a younger Miss Marple that's not entirely without oh, yeah. merit. If it was, if it was done well, it's not a bad idea, but it needs to be done well. Right, and I, I'm just not that much of a Jennifer Gardner fan that I can say, oh yeah, that's that's Miss Marple. Um, Amy Adams, uh, who has apparently now been cast as Lois Lane in the upcoming Superman individual movie that we were talking about before. She could make a Miss Marple, and I would go to see that. But, I mean, the woman is incredibly busy because she's, you know, the Meg Ryan of this decade. Uh, but who knows? Who knows? This is a long way out from actually being made. We don't have scripts. We don't have – I don't think we have directors attached or anything like that yet. But all we have is Disney buying up the rights to Agatha Christie's Miss Marple, which – interesting stuff. We'll see how that works out. What about and, somebody like um – the actress who played Janeway in Voyager. Um, well, but she's by now, you know, older. She'd be, she'd be the old age Agatha. That could be fun, actually. Imagine uh, being Disney and being the way they do things. Uh, Miss Marple somehow gets sent through a time portal and meets the older version of herself, uh, Kate Mulgrew, uh, acting as the traditional Miss Marple. Well, I mean, the thing I don't like about either of these casting possibilities is... You know, you're talking about an American faking a British accent, which, uh-huh. to my mind, has only been done successfully really once, and that's Gwyneth Paltrow. And oh, um, I, I do I think that Jennifer Gardner does it in her to do a consistent British accent that is, you know, not that is clearly of a region that is a clear dialect. No, I, I do not. Um, but, you know, she may surprise. Who knows? It's a long time before anything like this gets made. Oh, all good stuff. Thanks, yes, Darth. Is that, is that fair? Yep. Uh, one little brief note. This is actually kind of exciting to comic fans, too. Alan Moore is finally going to... is in the process of making uh, the Miracle Man series into a movie, and, you know, Alan Moore is notorious for not liking the products that come out that are derived from his comic book works. This time, apparently, he's happier. And this time, of course, he's using an entirely British crew. Or, uh, I don't know, know. him using it makes it sound like he's more in charge of the project than he really probably is. But nevertheless, it's going to be made entirely British-made, which should be good. Um, And hopefully, that means, among other things, you know, in terms of simple filmmaking logic, that means that he will be able to come down from his house and actually sort of be there maybe on set and be more physically involved with the production of uh, Miracle Men than he has traditionally been. It's, it's not going to Hollywood, in other words. So hopefully we'll get something that both he likes and that audience likes out of this one. All righty. Um, just before we go into Tim, I've got a couple of short pieces of news. Uh, follow up to uh, my drunken ramblings on uh, the New Media Outsiders a couple of weeks ago. Um, obviously, the execs were listening to those drunken ramblings, and 
there's been a costume change for uh, TV's Wonder Woman. Kind of just makes it sound really cheap. TV's Wonder Woman. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, given a link, and I will put that link in the in the chat uh, of uh, some new shots from the set uh, with uh, of the revised costume, and she's now wearing red boots. Yes. Um, the only, only other problem she's having is keeping her uh, boobs in her boob tube. Um, but the, the wonderful thing, actually, about the photos that, from the link I just put in there, uh, which was uh, from the Daily Mail, is that there are quite a few shots of, um, and I don't even know, uh, how do you pronounce her last name? Darth? Panalicki. Oh, Panalicki. Uh, yeah, Panalicki. Oh, no, I don't have it in front of me, so I don't know. I thought you, you know, anyway. Uh, but there's a, a number of shots of her smiling, and you know what? That sold me a lot more than the 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 uh, the promotional shot that they sent out. The promotional shot does nothing for this girl. Her standing there on set in the revised costume, smiling, makes me actually want to see her. It makes me want to tune in even more because she just looks a, a, a lot better. Um, the promotional shot that they took and in that costume was just it made her look like a cheap action figure and uh, but yeah the the costume while it's not completely there it's it's a definite improvement and uh, I'm actually kind of looking forward to seeing her I don't know how long the series will last um, but I'm willing to, to give it a try now yeah. yeah, and the trousers are a dark, have gone a darker blue, haven't they? Yes, and they're no longer the they no longer look like PVC. Um, they've changed the start. They've got stars down the side now, uh, which weren't vis weren't really very visible in the promo shot. There's actually stars down the side of each leg. Um, yes, and of course red boots. Somebody was listening and changed the boots. All right. Uh, Another little piece of news. Uh, last uh, yesterday, I was uh, flicking through the TV channels and came across the uh, uh, Four Days at Dragon Con documentary, which is actually uh, currently playing at uh, uh, World Compass. It's a cable channel. It's a PBS cable channel, actually. Um, and uh, if you go to www.worldcompass.org, uh, you can actually see a, a preview of uh, Four Days at Dragon Con. Uh, a documentary that was made, I believe, at last year's uh, Dragon Con. And it was quite interesting, and now Liam wants to go to Dragon Con, and my wife just rolls her eyes. Uh, <laughs> so that's, that's some lovely little bit of news there that uh, that's making the rounds. It was on, I think, three times yesterday on, on the channel. So uh, uh, check out uh, worldcompass.org uh, and see uh, whereabouts that's playing in your neck of the woods. There's a, a where to watch uh uh, link on the right-hand side towards the bottom. So, uh, I think that's all I had. Dave, do you have anything before we move on to Tim? Well, just one apology for not making it on the show for the last couple of weeks, and that's from Jiffy G7. And he also just brought to my attention that when we were doing our last show, episode 91, before superheroes and uh, there were heroes, and we did all the different genres, we even went into westerns and sports and war, he said we we missed out the whole um, the kung fu and martial arts genre, and uh, he would have put the the sort of Bruce Bruce Lee type of character uh, and Chuck Connors type of character that Jackie Chan. we can and Jackie Chan. We missed out all that whole uh, section. So uh, thank you, Jiffy G ninety uh, seven uh, for that, and we hope you'll make it onto the show live uh, soon. 
All right, over to Tim. And while we're apologising, Vegan Sani can't make it to the show this week because she's she's got the best excuse going. She's going to see her mum for Mother's Day. Oh, that's good. Good girl. Well, in in various bits of news, it's 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 been trailer week, people, hasn't it? We can't move for them. The um, the the one that was least on content was uh, the Stars Network over in the States released a short teaser trailer for Torchwood Miracle Day, and I'll put a link in chat from our friends over at Radio Free Scar, who've got a, a link to where people can see it on YouTube, and there's about one bit of speech in it and the sort of bomb thing that we've mentioned before and not a great deal else. I remember somebody tweeting the day that came out, is there another trailer for Tortured Miracle Day? One with actual scenes in it. <laughs> but considering it's not on till July, we won't get a fuller trailer till we're a lot closer. Um, in BBC Four news, uh, despite it receiving somewhat mixed reviews, uh, they have recommissioned Dirk Gently, uh, with hmm. Stephen Mangan playing... Um, Douglas Adams is a rather muddled detective. Uh, don't know whether it's another one-off or whether it's going to be... A s ah, here we are. Three more hour-long episodes. So another one of these things where we only get three of it, but um, hopefully that means they can concentrate all their energies into three really good scripts there. So I'll put the link in the chat there from sfx.co.uk. I think that deserves another outing, Tim. I thought it did reasonably well. Well, I, 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 I liked, I liked it. I liked his interpreter. I think the thing that really annoyed people is that the first book is quite a really good story, and they only used bits of it. They sort yeah. of loosely adapted it, rather than saying. I, I think it may have been to save money on some level because. Um. Had they adapted the whole book, they may not have been able to fit it into an hour. But by using sort of bits of it, it kind of helped them a bit. Um, well, as to what I was up to this time yesterday, uh, well, yesterday afternoon, I was staring at my watch and hoping people hadn't disappeared off without me because I was heading towards a pub not a million miles away from St Paul's Cathedral, in fact it was right behind us on the other side of the road, and we were having the first Doctor Who twub crawl, or hash twub crawl, spelled T-W-U-B crawl, which was basically a Twitter-driven pub crawl, uh, with a few visits to Doctor Who locations, and, um, well, basically it was just a good excuse to hang out with a lot of really friendly Doctor Who fans. Uh, the Staggering Stories team didn't make it to the uh, first pub, but they did thankfully make it to the, from the second pub onwards. And uh, yes, they'd been over to the uh, Doctor Who experience. They were, they were gushing with um, lots of fun they'd had there, and they'd bought themselves an adipose stress toy uh, for it was fake Keith's birthday on Saturday. And she'd already nicknamed said adipose Grey Erm. Because in her words, he's grey, and he looks like he's going, um, 
And uh, well, we had various levels of cosplay. Uh, uh, earlier in the day, I'd been to Forbidden Planet in central London, and I'd found that they'd started stocking fezzes, very cheap ones for less than five pounds. So I thought, I can't not have one of them. Having gone all the way to Gallifrey and very disappointed that no one was selling fezzes, to be able to walk into a shop in this country and buy a nice cheap one was very good. And so we, we had me and a, ch a cheap fez, which was on from time to time, and various people borrowing it. One of my photographs is where fake Keith, while we were stood by the wither at one point, said, can I borrow your fez? So, um, fake Keith wears a fez now too. Uh, we even had one of our number who was dressed as the 11th Doctor. Um, he was wearing what I regard as an authentic fez, because he bought it in Marrakesh. Uh, the the cosplay was um, very good. I'll put a link in the um, chats of photos. We had someone in an extremely good 8th um, uh, Doctor costume, and the person who dressed up as the 11th Doctor, uh, he was not only wearing a fez, uh, but um, when he showed up at the first pub, he was actually carrying a mop. <laughs> He'd actually bought a mop on his way there. He'd come across the pound shop and gone in and bought himself a mop. So, um, yeah, I've put a link in chat to my photos. Um, I came home... Um, later than I wanted to, but with a lot of audio recorded, and I didn't want to have to put a podcast together on a Sunday, so I sat up till one in the morning and put together Tim's Take on episode 63, uh, which uh, is only about half an hour long, but gives you a good flavour of um, what went on, uh, a lot of the a lot of the silliness, a lot of the, the fun, it was just, it genuinely was just a good laugh. And I'll put also in chat a link to a, a video people can have a quick look at if they like uh, which is uh, of Jean of Staggering Stories telling us uh, of a memory she had of when she used to work uh, back in the mid 80s in the Shad Thames area of London uh, at lunchtime she used to go out and sit by the Thames and eat her sandwiches for lunch and one morning she went out and ate her sandwiches for lunch and walked straight into a Dalek because they were filming Resurrection of the Daleks right round the corner from where she works. Uh, the, the other odd thing that happened, and, it, and you get these things that happen when the, the en masse brains of fans gather, is that um, uh, Helen, and I must credit Helen who organised the whole thing, Helen Thomas of uh, Brit Movie Tours, and we should plug their, their website because they do tours of Doctor Who locations in both the London area and the Cardiff area. So I'll track down their website and put it into chat in the next few minutes. And um, she had with her a, uh, an A4 folder of photographs of the locations as they were when the original filming took place. And we were looking at it in, I think it was the second pub. And she, possibly even the first, because we waited around a long time. And there's a photograph taken of the sidemen heading away from St Paul's Cathedral with the buildings that you have as you approach the Millennium Bridge and the, the, it was filmed clearly I guess 
quite early in the morning because there's no one around other than these Cybermen. Up on the building is stands, uh, looking down at the Cybermen, stands a single figure. And the collective en masse brains of all of us were retconning this big time and saying, that looks like an ood. <laughs> and if I can find the photo in question, I'll put that in chat as well, because it's quite a well-known photo that was taken during the making of the invasion, and it was just a bit of a weird moment that all of us en masse looked at this photo, and I, I, I think I was possibly the first person to say it, but it wasn't just me that thought it. Right, and I believe it was it fake Keith's birthday. These are, of course, people from the Staggering Stories podcast. Yes, yes, she was... Um, very happy that there was cake on hand uh, for um, Helen. Helen is a very generous person, and um, as part of what I did when I headed to Galley, I said, "Well, um, I know at Galley they have like a, a table where you can help like publicise things. Have you got any like flyers for these Doctor Who tours you do?" And she said, "No, I'll talk to my boss." And she had some flyers made, and she posted them to me. And I took a few of them over to Galley in my case. And I went up to one of the organisers at Galley and I said, Look, I've got these um, flyers, where can they be put? And they told me where I could be put. And I photographed them so she could see that they were there on display at Galley with a special offer on. Anyone who used these like offer codes could um, go on towards a reduced rate. And in return, she gave me, and I have it in my hand at the moment, a box full of Doctor Who gingerbread. And if you look at my Flickr stream, I'm gradually photographing these just before I eat each one. And uh, they're, they're very nice. She's done every single Doctor. Uh, Matt Smith complete with his bow tie. Tom Baker, for some reason, entirely naked apart from his scarf. Right, uh, not... Sarah Jane Smith in the um, Andy Pandy outfit. But um, yeah, a, a very good time was had by all. I had to dash off before they went in the last pub, because we were on the wrong side of the road for the tube station I needed. And as I said, I kind of missed the train I wanted to get home. But now, a very good time was had by all. And in June, uh, she's hoping to organise a, um, a get-together of um, people she knows on Twitter for a sort of um, similar sort of event to the Flashing Blade picnic. She's going to have a picnic. And hopefully another of these pub tours, pub, um, pub things later in the year. Right, I need to stop you there, Tim, otherwise people won't have any reason to go and listen to your Tim's take on. So, uh, <laughs> thanks for that. Mm -hmm. yeah. All right, uh, somebody put their hand up in class, and that would have been uh, Mr. Randall Thor with a little bit of news before we head over to uh, Benjamin Elliott for some late-breaking, interesting stuff thing. Yes, it's just come to my attention that over at WonderCon uh, convention over in San Francisco, there's a Doctor Who panel going on with... Uh, uh, Neil Gaiman, Mark Shepard, and Tony Haynes. So that's going on as we speak here on Coltham Collective. But don't hold us away. A teenage friend of one of my listeners got up at 5 o'clock in the morning to get a seat at that panel. Well, and as sure. I've been telling people in recent days, you do realize there's a lot that's going to be a panel with people saying, there's so much we can't tell you because these episodes haven't gone out yet. Well, I'm sure Darth Skeptical got up at 5 a.m. in Hawaii to get to ours. <laughs> Not quite that early, but early enough. <laughs> and thank you. Alrighty then. 
Well, over to Mr. Benjamin Elliott for a special announcement. Okay. Slash news, slash whatever. Okay, <laughs> well, uh, first we'll do the short version, then the slightly longer version for context. Uh, okay, here goes. The short version. I am retiring from writing This Week in Doctor Who. Oh, no. No. That's not the sort of exclusive we want. That's bad news. I'm sure there may be good news because of it. Ah, right. Well, I I did say that it was uh, big, didn't I? Uh, Okay. (laughs) Well, basically, um, this week in Doctor Who dates back to July of 1998, and I began it because I believed that we should, there should be a, like a weekly guide to where Doctor Who was airing, and I thought the whole world should get you know, get to know where the show is. And I've been doing it from the dark days and then all the way till now. Indeed, there were six years there from yeah. 2000 to 2006 where it went out every single week with no interruptions, which I'm really, really proud of. Indeed. Even it going from, you know, from basically when there was no Doctor Who and no chance for revival until after sci-fi had started airing it in the U.S. So that was a pretty impressive run. And for a number of issues, uh, the last edition that managed to get out was in early January. Uh, between certain factors with my health and my schedule and a certain bit of frustration with certain television stations, it has gotten harder and harder to put the column out in a way that I'm satisfied with. And some of the editions that have gone out, I've been annoyed with what I've gotten out. I've gotten out what I could, but it's gotten to the point where I think that there needs to be a change. And I think that I'm not the one to make it. There I think there's certain technological changes, there's certain ways of looking at things that I'm not going to be able to do. And I think that there, I think some people might get in and get involved if I'm, if they don't have to worry about stepping on my toes. So I figure it's best if I stop doing it as a regular basis now. Certainly, I'd love this week in Doctor Who to continue. I'd love to hand it off to someone else. And I'm not retiring from fandom or anything. I'm going to stay involved in fandom. There are projects that I'll be better able to do now. And there's certain non-Doctor Who things that I'm hoping to do and hoping to uh, keep people on their toes with. Just as a regular week-in, week-out thing, I can't do this week in Doctor Who well anymore. And it's time to step away. Actually, it's amusing because 10 years ago, tomorrow, on April 4th, I figured that I should give the column a Yahoo group so that I knew that I'd be able to make sure it got distributed no matter what happened. And almost immediately after I created that Yahoo group, Sean Lyon shut down the Doctor Who Alliance. And much of my readership had been reading the column through the Yahoo group for the Doctor Who Alliance. And I remember thinking, you know, why why would Sean shut down this newsletter that he obviously loved and a lot of people liked? 
And, of course, then he made a whole bunch of changes and things and created the big form and Outpost Gallifrey. I remember a couple of years ago thinking, why would he shut down Outpost Gallifrey when he clearly liked what he was doing? It comes to think of it, why had the Lurker's Guide to Babylon 5 shut down when that guy clearly enjoyed what he was doing? And, well, I think I understand why those decisions get made now. So, I'm... I'm, I'll still be poking around. I'm not going away anywhere. Just, it's time to uh, make some changes. So. Well, well, I think you deserve this. <laughs> A round of applause for Mr. Benjamin Elliott there, guys. Yes. So if anyone, Thank you very much, sir. If, if anyone's still confused with some stuff, I'm obviously right here. <laughs> <laughs> And, and as I you told us to a few months back, there, you, you do now have rivals. <laughs> well, that's fine. Well, I, I think also... As long as no one actually just copies and pastes and pretends it's their work. Someone well, did try to do that once many years ago. <laughs> I, I think one clue might well be as well, and we're going to be talking about it soon, about the Doctor Who trailers, that they actually use the word that, you know, the universally known Doctor Who. Uh, it's it's uh, in the dark days, you know, columns like yours are so vital to keep the ones that really needed to search out these episodes, uh, that lifeline of information. And I'm not necessarily saying that, that, that your uh, column is less needed now, but I suppose um, the proliferation of different stations all around the world, I mean, uh, in terms of also, like, we've we've now heard that, uh, you know, Australia and Canada and so on are, uh, are getting nearer and nearer to simultaneous broadcasts. Um, but it, it's been a tremendous uh, achievement by what you've done, Benjamin. I don't think anybody can realise quite the amount of work that you must have put in over the years. Well, thank you, by the way. And by the way, since I did tell people that there would be something happening, and since some people may be listening to this later, I'm going to take the opportunity to give a lot of thanks to four people who were really interested in this project early on, gave me a lot of support back in 1998, and probably helped ensure that the column wasn't just a experiment that began and ended that summer. So a uh, big round of applause to... Uh, then public TV people, uh, Ken Patterson of, at the time, KTH in San Jose, California. T.J. Lubinsky, then at WQED 13 in Pittsburgh, now better known as the guy who made the doo-wop specials for PBS. Uh, Dr. Siobhan Morgan at the University of Iowa, who was very supportive and listed I got the column carried on her Nitro 9 page, which at the time was one of the big Doctor Who uh, websites, and Sean Lyon of the then young Outpost Gallifrey, who of course gave me a lot of support, and this week in Doctor Who had a long history with Outpost Gallifrey. And I think really those four are a lot of to do with the column survival. And success. Excellent. Yeah. And... <laughs> Yeah. Ian, do you think we should allow Benjamin to stay on our show if he's not going to be a celebrity anymore? <laughs> oh, uh, I suppose. <laughs> Someone's got to keep him famous. Yeah, in his goldfish, <laughs> yeah. 
Well, very, very, actually glad to hear it, sir. Because I know, <laughs> you know, when you get into these projects, you know, we've got you feel a certain, you know, uh, you feel pressure to to get these things out and get them done you know, over and over and over again. And uh, yeah, sit back, relax, yeah. and enjoy yourself, and focus on some things you want to get uh, done for you. Uh, and, and, uh, yeah, and Benjamin, thank you very much for not announcing that on the first of April. Yeah. Well, I, there wasn't a live show I could get on the first of April, but yeah, yeah, I can just imagine people's reaction if I announced it then. I had a coworker who announced that she was quitting on the first of April, and the HR department believed her and started to write up paperwork. Oh my god! <laughs> I think we ought to go to Andy. <laughs> yes, and here's Andy. If you enjoy listening, why not join the collective and participate yourself? Or on TalkShoe, call ID 54821. Call in on 724-444-7444. This is a US number, area code 724, so do check your calling plan before dialing in. If you have a SIP client, you can call in for free on 66.212.134.192. Or you can connect in directly via the Shoe phone client if you have TalkShoe Live installed. Looking forward to hearing you. Didn't he do well? <laughs> All right, were we going to do some trailer talk before we proceed uh, with? Uh, yeah, I've I've only got thing. one question. I've only got one question for you, Ian. Um, do, uh, I've got three things about the dot two. I'm wondering whether, with the time being at 15 minutes, whether we need to actually talk about the, the prequel one, the one in the Oval Office. And play we that talked about that last week. That's though. what I'm thinking. I was going to say that. Uh, I, I was going to actually play the clip of it. Go straight to... Okay, well, let me just give a spoiler warning to people. It's not spoilish in as much as it's been officially played as a trailer, but if you absolutely don't want to know anything, uh, I'm going to play... Uh, should I play them consecutively, the UK one and then the American one, or do you want to talk between them, Ian? I think if you just play them back-to-back, and then we'll just talk in general about both of them. Right, so each of them lasts uh, uh, virtually a minute exactly each. It's, so it's the, worth saying that the American one, several people have said it's more spoilery than the UK one. So if you don't want to hear more. either, just stop listening for a couple of minutes. Right, well, I'll pause five seconds after the first one. Okay, here's the Good UK idea. trailer. The Doctor's darkest hour. He'll rise higher than ever before and then fall so much further. This is the day he finds out who I am. Hey, bye, bye, girl. Okay, where are we? Where we've never, ever been. Look how cool this stuff is. Fear me, I've killed hundreds of Time Lords. Fear me, I've killed all of them. Doctor Who, coming soon to BBC One and BBC One HD. And as Willisca puts in text, uh, a lot of the spoilers are to do with visuals, the people who stop them frame by frame. But there's your five-second break, 
And yes. here and at this is... point, I'd like to thank the BBC for launching BBC HD in my region just before Doctor Who comes back. <laughs> Good for you. And here's mm. the BBC American version. Have a look in a mirror and you'll see a whole other world. Well, this time it's not an illusion. On April 23rd, the universal phenomenon, Doctor Who, is coming to America. Hello, sweetie. We're in the middle of the most powerful city in the most powerful country on Earth. Let's take it slow. Traveling in time and space is easy. Mr. President? It's the landing you have to look out for. Non-terrestrial. Definitely alien. No sign of a struggle, no bones or blood. How long have they been here? As long as there's been something in the corner of your eye, or creaking in your house, or voices through a wall. No! Only one show can take you anywhere and everywhere. Whatever happens, however hard, however far, we will find you. And on Saturday, April 23rd at 9, Doctor Who is coming to America. Trust me, I'm the Doctor. BBC America. Oh, aren't we all excited? All excited. Who would like to particularly the American one. I, I, I liked it. The American one whetted my appetite way more than the British one. Because I thought, I thought, well, about 50% of this is effectively a trailer for episodes one and two. That was the sound yeah. of me rubbing my hands together, in case you didn't hear it. <laughs> right, right. Yes, uh, just to, to clarify for, for most people who will probably know, but our listeners later, uh, the Series 6 will be... Uh, six, seven episodes. It will be opening with a two-parter. The Impossible Astronaut is the title of part one. Um, I'm not sure whether I should mention the title of part two, but it, uh, it will be ending with episode seven, which in itself is going to be a cliffhanger, part one of a two-part story, and then it will come back in autumn, where we'll presumably have the six uh, episodes of series seven, and hopefully that will be topped off by a Christmas special, making two basic, basically two groups of seven episodes. And I think they've already announced uh, the uh, DVD and Blu-ray for um, the uh, first uh, Series 6. And so, uh, officially it is Series 6 in two halves. It is not Series 6 and 7. Oh, Ray. thank you for that. Thank you for that. Well, because the, 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 the Blu-ray, that, which I think is a vanilla box set as opposed to one with extras, but um, it, it, it it's listed as Series 6, Part 1. Right. Okay, well, uh, just to comment that we have lost um, uh, Mike. Well, not lost, he's had to disappear off. So uh, yes. let, let me uh, jump to Charlie. Do you want to make any comments about your excitement? Well, I saw I saw the, the BBC one before I saw the BBC America one, but uh, yeah, that 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 um, that initial trailer it really whetted my appetite. Uh, you know, the, the thing, you know, the of course the thing that uh, came that, uh, that visual thing that came on me was seeing the um, the old TARDIS console, not old, but you know, the Eccleston Tenet console. Uh, from you know, a quick glance at that and just. Um, uh, just things, you know, like the, the voice that you know that, that you heard that that said, you know, fear me, I've killed hundreds of time lords. Figuring out who, who uh, that belongs to. Um, just you know, just the whole thing, you know, like and there's that whole people are talking about the the figure, the clown figure with the balloon. People uh, says that looks like Matt Smith or not. Who just you know that, that and um, yeah, just very yeah. I, I think I watched that trailer a gazillion times. So. 
I thought that For people that want to see that, that Tennant Eccleston moment, it's 37 seconds into the BBC UK trailer. Yeah, I didn't notice and, and it. I, I didn't notice it at first myself, and a friend pointed it out on Twitter, and I immediately went straight over to YouTube, and I went, aha. And then I yeah. also started going, who's that on right of frame? And he said, oh, is that the Doctor? And, well, I won't say who I think it is, because... Right. We don't want to spoil things too much. Just go and look at the trailer and work it out for yourself. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think it was Ian that said to me, I, I didn't notice the console so much as the fact that it was the coral um, the, the coral design of the uh, interior, right. wasn't it? The column. And, and oh, it, it, well, it, well it, was, it was interesting when I went to the Doctor Who experience just last week and I took a load of photographs of the, um, the Tennant Eccleston console room they've got there. And I put these up on Flickr, and within hours I had a comment from someone going, you do realise that's not the real console room. The real one's back in Cardiff. They're bringing Tennant back for some movie or something. I thought, oh, for goodness sake. No, that is the real one. Read Doctor Who magazine. There was a whole article about the fact that they had to ship it over from Cardiff and get it there in one piece and without damaging it. But um, So we could probably to some extent, work out when this was filmed based on when they had to move all this stuff over from Wales to London. But um, well, thought, obviously I months thought... and months back, because certainly the... Uh, when, when did they do the Utah filming? Oh, two or three months now when Tyler's Town yeah. was there, wasn't it? I think it's October. Mm. But, um, yeah, right. It is a little hard to gauge, though, because they just do these things based yeah. on when they can get the locations. They don't necessarily shoot the studio footage yeah. remotely near where the, where they've um, shot the location footage. And those flames, mm -hmm. to me, look CGI, as though you know it, it perhaps was a, uh, the set that you well, say, and my, they didn't want to damage it. My, my thought was brought, was connected to the, the regeneration, really, whether right. there'd been Use something some happened at that, that point... Well, whether they'd either used some footage from that or whether narratively, plot-wise, uh, somebody has to go back in time to that moment for some something vital about that particular version of the TARDIS that's not in the new version, for example. Oh, another time crash. <laughs> well, it, 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 I mean, it's it, both of these trailers, but, but the... the They've done exactly what, what they should do, and that's particularly us, the hardcore, the people that will watch them over and over again and pick them to pieces. Um, it will certainly help fill the, um, the few weeks between now and the 23rd of April because we've got plenty to talk about. Right. Uh, let me give other people the chance to speak. But, um, um, well, this girl who also had some news that we forgot to mention, uh, she was mentioning about... Um, the fact that, well, do you want to mention it, Willis Go? Because we have got your order. You were mentioning something about Murray Gold in text before, and then asked you about these two trailers. Um, that wasn't me. <laughs> Was it not? No. I thought it's, uh, that um, Murray Gold's going to do the music for Torchwood. I thought it was you that put that in. I can't scroll that far back at the moment. But, um, okay, what about that? I'll try and find out who that was while you tell us what you thought. Um, I really liked the trailers this week. I thought they were awesome. Um, the uh, one aspect of the trailers I'm excited about is seeing River Song 
inside of the uh, TARDIS from the lodger, and she's shooting a gun, and I'm wondering what that's all about. So I'm glad to see the the, uh, TARDIS from the lodger return. Good. Yeah, that's something I'm excited about. And, of course, seeing the the TARDIS from uh, 9 and 10, seeing that again, I was excited about that. Okay. Uh, Darth, uh, your thoughts, Tom? Uh, Well, I think one of the interesting things that uh, these two trailers show is that it looks like we are again going to have a year where BBC America is the place to go as opposed to bbc.co.uk. The uh, last year, you know, the, the, the American, the official American site was hands down better than the official uh, British site, especially in terms of the amount and quality of video that was on offer. And here again, you know, I don't know who cut this together, but I'm guessing it's not somebody working in Britain. It definitely has a feel and a look and a slickness to it that is American. And really, what a a gorgeous trailer this is, as opposed to the British one. well, can I just take you for Stunning. one option? Did yeah. you think it was a good to show who who'd blown the Doctor Stetson off? Because I thought that gave. No, I mean obviously. I thought that, it would be pretty can't... obvious who'd do that. Yeah, very obvious. <laughs> okay, well, it confirmed but wasn't that it, from that that was surely given no. to us in in the no, Christmas the... Carol. What? It showed you. It was her that done that. I mean, the point was in the trailer, somebody shoots the Doctor's hat off. You, Which trailer you, are we talking about? The, the two trailers I've just played in the BBC yeah, version, the, the, we see the Stetson blown off the Doctor's, but we don't see who fired the shot. In the American version, you then cut to the River Song with the gun in her hand saying, hello, sweetie. That's that's from the original um, first trailer that we got in on December the 25th. We've known since December 25th who did the firing of that. Uh, even if we didn't have a reaction shot from River, we would clearly have been able to put that together because of what had happened at the end of uh, Series 5. But no, we had a very clear shot in the trailer that came at the end of A Christmas Carol that showed us that. Uh, well, perhaps I've uh, forgotten that then. Yeah. Um, no, but there, I mean, there were just so many startling things, I think, in this um, trailer, and it's uh, shocking to me how how much better the American trailer is to the the British one, uh, and maybe why it is so much better. I don't really understand it, but I again second year running. I'm thinking go to BBCA. dot com for anything having to do with Doctor Who as opposed to you know the official site. Um, as for what's actually in it that interests me most, there's one shot um, in the American trailer, where you see Amy in a sort of hexagonal, I guess it's hexagonal, it might be pentagonal, I can't quite remember, um, corridor. Corridor. And now, now is, is anyone else thinking TARDIS-like? I am. I, that's exactly what I'm I thought. I'm certainly on the, on thinking the, TARDIS-like. On the wall, there are you know new series roundels, for lack of a better word, or I should say series five roundels. Um, it really... I, that, that is exactly what I thought. I'm like, oh, are we really going to go into the interior of the TARDIS? Um, About time, so, too, if we are. 
Well, you know, I think that that's a bit of fan wankery. That's a little bit well, it, well, it's just, overblown. It's just been one of my bugbears since 2005 that they finally actually have the money to do it, and they haven't. Well, I, I'll tell you this much. If it does, in fact, turn out to be the TARDIS, I'll be slightly disappointed because I'm I'm with Tom Baker on what the interior of the TARDIS should look like. It should be that you go from room to room and there is no stylistic continuity between those rooms. It's just, you know, like an invasion of time. You so you're, open not, up fan, into you're a, no fan kind of, of the Davison era then? Oh, God, no. I'm no, no, not Davison. Nathan Turner, let's be clear. Um, uh, I think that his um, Brownell obsession was clearly bad for the series and it limited what the TARDIS could be. Um, I think that you should open up each new door, and in there should be a world of its own. And that they can do in the new series, and that's what they should be doing. And if this turns out to be just, oh, look, we have new corridors on the interior of the TARDIS, I, I will be not terribly happy. Um, but it may not be that at all. Uh, the, the one good thing, the one clearly and unambiguously good thing about that shot is, you know, it shows that... Um, Karen Gillan can scream in a way that is utterly terrifying. Um, that's not the only time in these trailers that she's screamed and you've been quite scared for her safety. But, you know, again, consistently, that is one thing that she has always been able to do, I think, better than any modern um, assistant, which means, of course, any assistant that ever has been in the history of Doctor Who. Um, to, to go back briefly to your point about BBC America, Darth, I was having a very quick look through um, any news that might have come off this panel at WonderCon, and uh, BBC America actually showed the audience at WonderCon and have put on um, YouTube uh, a new behind-the-scenes uh, featurette called Doctor Who Insider with yep. some behind-the-scenes on the uh, the Utah shoot, and uh, yep. obviously that's something they'll be running throughout throughout the series. I mean, they they were just like this time last year. Well, of course, this time last year we were already into the first episode, but still, at, at a, you know, a few weeks out from the actual start of the series last year, they had far more in terms of uh, video interviews with people um, and and good interviews. I mean, you know, they were the first people to interview Alex Kingston. It wasn't you know confidential or anything. It was a BBC America interview, and. You can understand why, because Alex Kingston, of course, is a known name in the United States, so therefore she's a selling point for Doctor Who in a way that she might not exactly be in England. Um, but BBC America just is on the ball. They really yeah. are, in, in terms of pushing content to the web, and not just at the web itself, but you know, various social networking applications and everything. They're just doing a, a far better job than... Um, not C. C. O. U. K. I don't know why. Well, I think it, that trailer was. Uh, it may have something to do with the fact that they're commercial, yeah, and I so therefore they're trying sale. to drive an audience towards their advertisers. Yeah. Well, I, th I think the American trailer was more of a bigger sell, where where with the U. K. It was more almost half teaser, half trailer. The, well, the, well, I think the, in this country there's an element of we've got an audience. We don't yeah. have to get them excited just putting Doctor Who on will bring that audience to Doctor Who. Right. Uh, let me just right. mention, by the way, of course, it was Darth, it was you, Darth, that mentioned about the Murray Gold music. I, I've just... Uh, uh, do you want to say anything more, or should we ask what Ian wants to? 
But, oh well, I mean, yeah, I barely touched the surface on the on the trailer itself. Um, but I mean, just on the Murray Gold thing, yes, he is apparently doing Miracle Day, which is a little bit of a surprise, or or wasn't a dead cert um, because you know Murray Gold didn't really do. He didn't actually. He was not the composer. Period of the music for series one and two. He's the the originator of the theme song, I guess, for one and two. But he didn't do the actual incidental music. That was Ben Foster doing both. Well, actually, he was just doing the, the composition because there wasn't orchestration to do. Uh, they didn't have an orchestra. Uh, but I guess Murray Gold did um, Children of Earth with Ben Foster orchestrating. So, right. I mean, you know, if you're a fan of Murray Gold's work, it's it's good news. And and I guess it also demonstrates that we will, in fact, have orchestra music, which that itself is a piece of news. We didn't know yeah. that that was what was going to be the case. So that's, you can get a lot from just saying Murray Gold is doing your thing because he's not an orchestrator. So if he's on the project, that means you've got an orchestrator and, and we do in fact know that Ben Foster will be doing that orchestration. So, you know, that's good. You know, and, and again, because you're talking about a, a an American co-production, that work could have gone to anybody in Hollywood, really. Um, so it's good that they're keeping that thematic element alive there too. But back to the, the, the trailers yeah, itself. Sure. Um, uh, just some some really stunning things. I, I liked, I forget what her, the actress's name is, but the girl who's glowing green uh, and is, is definitely sort of an ethereal sort of thing. I thought that was a lovely image and I can't wait to see what that's about. Um, the uh, the first look at, first true Lily look Cole. at the, what's her name? Lily Cole. Lily Cole, you're, yeah, that's she, exactly what she is. Uh, most recently seen um, uh, in the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus. Right, exactly. And, and, and is local Gorgeous. to me because she's a student at Cambridge University. Not that I've ever seen her around, but she is. Awesome. Yeah, but that that was a lovely sort of arresting moment, and and also isn't she is she in the one that's set in Cornwall that's with pirates that's with Hugh Bonneville? Is she in that episode? Does anybody know? I don't know, but but whatever. Yeah. Uh, the, we got our first like sort of sirens or something. Kind of, yeah. Well, we got our first you know proper look at Hugh Bonneville and his band of merry men on his ship, and I thought that was great, and it, it looks like that's going to be a lovely historical episode, so I'm all excited about that. Um, I, you know, even Alex Kingston, who I, I, I'm i not, I don't hate, but I don't really like. Even she came across, I thought, just gorgeous in this episode. Um, especially the bit where, sort of midway in, you see her in an evening gown, um, you know, wielding a gun. I just, you know, again, that's a Calm sort of classic... River song moment. She just looked. I think she looks better from the little snippets that we get in this trailer than she did last year, and that's her looking better even than she looked in series four. Um, right. So she somehow she's getting <laughs> older, but she's getting progressively either better lit or better makeup or better costume. I don't know what the deal is, but somehow she is looking better each year, which is a miracle of film. So that's good, um, and. Um, the the other the, really good thing I I got from the episode was Mark Shepard in the TARDIS, which yes. I dig. And and one of the things that I've liked about the Matt Smith era is that it's more common to find people who aren't regulars to be in the TARDIS. 
And for some reason, that has, that always excites me. And that was one of the things that, like, in series one, when you know Charles Dickens wanted to come on board, I really wished that he had gone inside. Um, and and even in the Tenth Doctor's area, it was very. Who went in the tart? Did I get the nobody? I can't really think of anything off the top of my head. I'm sure there's somebody, but um, you know, unless you count Jackie, or but she's sort of a companion anyway. Um, but one of the great things is last year, you know, you had Wilf. several people. What's that? Wilf got to go in the TARDIS. But Wilf was a, effectively yeah. a regular or semi-regular mm. or recurring character, or whatever. Um, but, you know, last year you had several people. You know, you got Vincent Van Gogh going into the TARDIS, actually taking a trip in the TARDIS. Uh, you know, Mira Seal, she's in the TARDIS. She's taking a trip, although really just gravity, um, in the TARDIS the next, as well. The next doctor says Sly Bob in text. Oh, I guess he didn't go in, but you ne- didn't see him go in. He popped in, and then he popped back out. Or no, you, uh, he did. You no, do you do him. see him. You go do see in, him. You right. see his reaction see to right. seeing the inside of the TARDIS. I suppose, but I mean, my God, that was you know that's three years into the yeah. tenth Doctor's run before you get that. Whereas you know with the fifth, with the eleventh Doctor, you are seeing him basically not caring so much anymore. If there's a point to be made, he'll just be like, "All right, whatever. I'm not going to argue. If you want to come in, come in," which I think is kind of cool. So. That's what I've gleaned. So on to somebody yeah. else. And of course, in that one, the next doctor did let the doctor travel in his TARDIS. True. Turnabout being fair play. <laughs> uh, right, Tim, you've, you, you, you did jump in a few times there, uh, but uh, I don't know whether you've actually had your own say. Um, well... I'm, I'm, I don't know a huge amount of, of plot spoilers, and I won't mention those that I do know, but it's it's interesting to know what isn't in there. So whether whether certain things that I know, I simply know because they've been filming episodes that we won't see until later in the year, that may may well be the case. But um, I, I gather these um, sort of porcelain dolls are the Neil Gaiman episode, and... Um, that that's that's starting to excite me. I think um, one of the uh, the bits of talk over at WonderCon that's kind of leaking our way is that uh, I think Gaiman had kind of set out to do a kind of Blink-style scary episode, something that can is capable of scaring the adults watching as much as scaring the kids, which really really is exciting, because that doesn't happen very often. Okay, Benjamin? Um, oh, oh, sorry. I was, I was trying to think if there was anything else worth mentioning, really. Um, well, other than the fact that I'm rather excited about the two-parter, because it, it, it's taken an awful long time, but we're finally going to see a sort of big use of an American location in Doctor Who, and also set in a very interesting period in American history, and so it'll be interesting to see how that's covered and the whole Nixon thing. And I can certainly imagine there being a few gags about Nixon and the way he the way he ran his presidency. There are no monsters in the Oval Office. <laughs> 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 okay, let's let's move on to Benjamin because we've still got Benjamin and Ian. So, Benjamin. Well, I definitely like the trailers. Uh, you know, one advantage to stepping away from this week in Doctor Who would be that I'd feel freer to 
mention if there's something I disliked, but I liked this stuff. <laughs> so I am that I I think we'll be in for a nice time. Be nicer if we have for the be nicer if BBC America HD was in more places, but you know <laughs> it's I think it's gonna be a good year. I think we're in for some fun. Excellent. Okay, Ian, I think you're the only one that hasn't spoken yet on this. Ian, are you going to step away? Just while uh, we wait for Ian to come in, uh, it, it's not a spoiler to say that what the second part is called, is it? No, as soon as that's officially released right, okay. information. Well, the, the, the reason why I mention it is the, the second part is called Day of the Moon. With River Song being in it, that the moon isn't, couldn't possibly refer to Dr. Moon, could it, from the the place where we know that River Song ends up at? Um, just a bit of speculation. It's not another one of these trick names, is it? Day of the Moon, it's not related to Dr. Moon. It's probably tied into Moon Landing, based on the story being in the summer of 1969. Uh, it'd be fun if it was connected to Dr. Moon, but the thing is, Dr. Moon wasn't that tied into River Song. Was well, it? it was, River, River Song's River Song ends up with Dr. Moon. In the, but not for uh, a long the, time. Hope. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe. Hey, anyway, just thought. Uh, one question again while we wait for Ian to come back on is um, when we discussed the uh, we haven't played the prequel, but the prequel that does take part in the Oval Office, and we're here, I thought it was, I didn't realise it was a young girl at first, talking to the President. That isn't the young Amelia, is it? It's not Amelia Pond that's talking to the President, is it? Has, any, has anybody speculated about that? Well, it, it, it's certainly interesting to note, if you go all the way back to 11th hour, that um, it was only the young Amelia Pond that was called Amelia Pond, and it's only when she got eight older that she started calling herself Amy, which has got me speculating as to whether through some weird sci-fi thingy, the young Amelia has ended up in the older Amelia's body without her life experience or something on those lines. It, it, yeah, well, it's, it's certain, as I say, there's such so many things to talk about. Yeah. I mean, I do realise, of course, if this is Nixon in the Oval Office seems to be presumptuous. Um, obviously, Amy Pond wouldn't have been, Amelia wouldn't have been in the same time zone, but who's to say that she's calling from that same time zone? But anyway, that's just the point. Just let me see if we've got Ian back in the room. Uh, I know he went away for coffee, but I've got a feeling that um, he's got some audio issues. Yes, it looks like he's uh, going back in. Okay, uh, anybody else want to comment? Uh, Darth, uh, if I stop you prematurely, then do you want to come back in a bit more on these trailers as we await Ian coming back in before we launch on to what is, in fact, the main topic of our show today? We're doing Outcasts and Marchlands shortly. So, Darth, anything else? Oh, Charlie, even from right from the beginning. Uh, we've all spoken since you spoke, Charlie. Oh, I think I've said everything that I wanted to say. Okay. I'm um, just giving Ian a moment to try and get back in the room, really. That's uh, the, the thing behind it. 
Okay, Willis Girl, are you okay? Have done, has everybody done on that? Uh, and, uh, the reason why I'm holding off for Ian is because he hasn't actually spoken on this particular um, thing, really. Oh, and another aspect of the trailer that I was excited about seeing since I'm sort of a shipper is seeing um, the Doctor and River's song doing sort of a nice, big, romantic kiss. That was really exciting to see. So maybe this will be the start of their uh, possible relationship. <laughs> well, yes, I, I do hope that uh, if, like it's been said, that uh, we're in for season six in two halves, uh, I do hope that River Song's uh, explanation is going to come in this first half rather than all the way. I wouldn't like that to dominate the whole of this series. Uh, and here we have Ian hopefully coming back onto audio. I've been uh, stalling Ian, are you okay? Yes, yes, I'm back. Uh, blink, blinked out on me. Silence fell. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> hey, he's back. Yeah, but, well, uh, everybody but yourself has talked about these trailers and we're at the almost up to the hour and a half mark, so if you want to just cover that briefly then we'll move on. Sorry, what? The, the two trailers, any, any yeah, thoughts? Yeah. Um... Well, as, of course, as everybody's talked about the the, the shot of the uh, of uh, the Knights and Tenth Doctor's uh, console's appearance uh, in the trailer. Um, there's been all sorts of people saying, "Oh, you can see that it's, it's David Tennant there uh, to the right hand side." <laughs> it's not. It's clearly not. It's shadow cast upon Rory. Um, and everybody's like, well, the Doctor's regenerating. That's, that's ruined what I said. <laughs> People just go off and watch it. We won't tell you who it, who we think it is. But it's speculation, isn't it? Not yeah. uh, Well, I mean, as, as, as I said a few minutes ago, you can see for yourself. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's just my take on it. I, I look at it and I'm like, no, that's, that's clearly Rory. But then that's just my opinion. Well, um, I, I thought it was Rory as soon as one of my friends said, it's the Doctor, and then I went back and looked at the still he sent me, and I said, no, it's so not the Doctor. And the Doctor is actually, if you look, well, I mean, I've, I've looked at it a couple of times, and I think uh, you can see uh, the Doctor in behind the big glowing ball actually hanging on to uh, something and being kind of, you know, so I'm guessing whatever it is has got some kind of pull, and those guys are actually hanging on to the to um, one of the coral pieces. Um yeah, so I, I don't think anybody even has been able to identify what episode it's from. The thing that's got me most uh, most interested is, uh, of course, Neil Gaiman's episode uh, with Sir Anne Jones. In it. Uh, of course, uh, the title has been announced. It is The Doctor's Wife. And uh, that was one of those, and we wait yeah. for the internet to explode. Yes. Moments um, a few days ago. Like, oh, it's going to be River Song. It's going to be River Song, and I'm like, that's too bloody obvious. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. I don't um, think they would have used that title if it was. Part of the speculation that I've heard running around, and I don't know if it's spoilerish or not, or true or whatever, but uh, a lot of people have speculated that Idris, uh, played by Sir Anne Jones, um, may not actually be like Time Lord or Human or a previous incarnation of River Song, uh, but somebody said it's a, a manifestation of the TARDIS. Oh, oh God, God, I hope not. Not that old damn thing. 
Apparently they did something like that in the books a few years ago. Yes, the Eight Doctor Adventures, Compassion, all that stuff. Jeez, that it's the horriest old chestnut. I, it's, <laughs> I'm guessing it wasn't particularly well done in the books then. <laughs> well, I mean, what was done well in the Eighth Doctor Adventures, they are... Oh. Anyway, um, but but more than that, I mean, that is something that... It, the idea of somebody or something being the TARDIS has been around on message boards since the new series came back. Everybody, at some point or another, has been accused of, maybe they're the TARDIS. And it's like, why do you want that? What is so yeah. narratively great about a person being a manifestation of the TARDIS? What could you do with that? It's a terrible idea. <laughs> have you seen Sir Ian Jones? Oh, sorry. <laughs> Sadly, I have. What, what could you do with that? <laughs> uh, I, I don't, um, you and I don't have the same taste in women. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, the TARDIS could look like yeah, could look worse. Um, uh, in a way, I can kind of see why people have latched onto that, uh, especially with the episode titled "The Doctor's Wife," because where those the fans out there don't want to see the Doctor married to anybody, even River mm-hmm. Song, uh, apart from the shippers. Uh, no offense intended, Willis girl. Um, and so but it would make sense for them to, to latch onto. So doesn't bother me because. As we know, he is a parent, and he is a grandfather, so it really doesn't bother me one way or the other that he get, got married at some point. Yeah, but people and why should it? visualize it. And so um, th- this, you know, if... I mean, it probably doesn't pan out, because, like you said, it's that old chestnut, but I can see fans latching onto that idea, because if anybody's going to be married to the Doctor, it's the TARDIS. You know, his faithful companion, always by his side, it's like it makes sense, you know... They're like husband and wife, you know. So his I wife doesn't have to be alive. So he's a tombstone for his first wife. There you go. Yeah. But uh, both trailers were great in in, in their own respect. Uh, uh, I think the the BBC one was was more for the fans to go through and do the, the little snapshots that we've all seen around the internet. Um, but the BBC America one was was a good showy piece of uh, come and watch this show, uh, which is what we need over here. You need to see that on TV, and they're doing a very good job. Well, I like the line in it: "Only this show can go anywhere, anytime." Type thing. I, I mean, thought it was so this true. Week uh, the BBC America have even rolled out. Uh, of course, they did this uh, with. Uh, the last series too, but uh, advertising on the side of buses. I mean, that's that that stuff's just great. Uh, here's here's the BBC, here's BBC America really pushing the the, the show and, and getting it out there on the streets so people can see it. And, and uh, I mean, I've noticed over the over the past like three or four years, more people here are at least aware that the show exists again and is is on the screens properly and and. Uh, and it's not the the thing that they their dad may have watched on PBS, you know, ten years ago. Um, they're aware that it's a, a live, you know, uh, property, and, and that's that, that's good stuff. Uh, and, but yeah, and, everybody's you know, pretty. Sorry, I was going to say in 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 line with these things that we're seeing in terms of marketing. The other thing that's really kind of 
and grab my attention is the, the extent to which BBC America is really pushing this trailer on the net. Um, I, I've been on several sites um, that suddenly there'll be a Doctor Who video, and I'd be like, what in the world? Um, and it's, you know, their 30-second version, I guess, of uh, their trailer. And, it, and it's good to see that, you know, just to be in places that don't have anything to do with Doctor Who, and then suddenly there is a trailer for Doctor Who. So that's that's good. And I, in talking about sort of catchphrases, I love the, the catchphrase for the season, which is, trust your doctor. I think that's that's just clever. It's simple. It's elegant, um, and it's intriguing at the same time. So, one good. of the other things that actually been so. done prior to these coming out was, uh, uh, and some people will be aware, of course, that there's a, a bit of a competition going on uh, at uh, BBC America of Show Us Your Tardis. Uh, they've actually got um, a. We should say vote Tardis Tara. Yes, they've got a, a commercial. It's, it's like an infomercial of of. Uh, all, all oh about God, that's it. terrible! It is bloody brilliant. I'm it's sorry, brilliant. Oh, you're wrong. It is so you, you're totally wrong. You're it's, not seeing it, the culture enough, Tim, to comment. Uh, uh, no, it, it, it probably is entirely a cultural thing, and maybe you guys are laughing at it. I'm just cringing at it. Yeah, no, you, it, it you, is, you're it, wrong, it, Tim. It, it, it's a mockery of of all these infomercials, which is brilliant. Yeah. The fact that. Um, for an American production, they've got everything right in it. They don't, you know, there's nothing mispronounced. It's all perfect, and right. and it's great. It's a great little promotional piece. It's good. It's fun, and and it really gets set out there. And because you know, regular people will sit there and they will watch it and they'll think that that's funny, you know. And uh, yeah, I think that's a great little piece. Normally, when you see people, yeah. You know, you see these documentaries that are done by American companies from you know back in the eighties. You know, well, we're on set with Doctor Who, and the Doctor's got his sonic device. And, you know, they sent somebody out who has absolutely no. I'll be a lot of you know, relaxed over it. Soon. They've got no, no knowledge. And here, here's here they're sitting there, and they've, they've put a lot of thought and and work into everything that they're doing to promote the series, and it's really good to see. And I'm. Really quite yeah. impressed with, with everything and, that they're doing. You know, the other clever thing about that that Tardis ad is not only is it a, a precise parody of, you know, the American infomercial thing, it's also a parody of Blue Peter. Like, they actually somehow get that in there, too, which I don't think will really, you know, hit anybody um, who, who doesn't know Blue Peter. But I think if you do know Blue Peter, it's an added element that you can sort of laugh at. So it's, it's, it's actually quite stunning, really. There's never been an ad like it. Um, as far as I'm aware, in the history of trying to promote Doctor Who, um, it's just, it's, it's, it is stunning. I mean, I, I know it's dumb, and I, I know I can completely appreciate Tim's point that if you're removed from the culture, it looks like it's everything bad about American culture, but it's so subtly done that um, it, it, it turn I don't know, it turns it into something that, sh- that is unique in the history of Doctor Who. Yeah, it's great. Here we've got, and, and, and the other pretty thing about it is, of course, it isn't something that's like the trailers, uh, that they've got pieces of the show and they've strung them together with a voiceover. This is something that they've actually done themselves and put together. I'm sure it had to go through approval, but... Um, Here's something that was produced by BBC America themselves right. to promote their show. It wasn't, you know, 
just a, you know, oh, we'll get excerpts from here, here, and here, and, and put them together, and that'll be a nice little promo. or something that they produced themselves to promote the show. And, I think and I'm pretty cool. sure it's the, it's the first ever American-based Doctor Who competition, right? I can't think yeah. of another, you know, original to America production, or I mean right. competition. So that's history-making in itself. Right, but yeah, the Americans uh, I mean, embrace, embracing Doctor Who. <laughs> it's nice to see. It's finally nice to see that it's you know that it's it's out there and it's it's gaining some momentum. I believe. I think the show's really kind of going places in America now, whereas before it was. Yeah, and in Canada, apparently. I mean, it's getting fairly quick screenings in Canada as well, which uh, pleases the guys from Radio Free Scarrow. That, that, the, the, actually, that's a little more disappointing that the fact that it's taken so long. Um, seeing as uh, uh, in Canada, they're a lot more in touch with the British culture than, than America are. Um, it's you know, I, I always thought it was kind of strange that it was so difficult to, for them to show Doctor Who. You know, and they seem to be behind in a lot of stuff. I, that quite took me, that took mm. me by surprise. That's an, I mean, that's an interesting and debatable point because, of course. You know, Canada's the first country in the Americas to show Doctor Who, historically at least. Um, but, you know, even in the modern sense, okay, fine. You know, they, they've had a, they had a little bit of a rocky start with Series 1 and 2. Well, Series 1, they actually did pretty well on CBC, you know, in terms of its marketing, in terms of embracing it. By the time you got to late Series 1 and early Series 2, apparently that's when the, the sort of uh, wheels came off the wagon, but what's different in Canada as opposed to America is that, um, you know, Doctor Who has actually won its time slot at least a little bit during during Series Five, um, which of course Doctor Who has never done, never even come close to doing in America. I mean, yes, it's nice that we're getting all this new promotion and stuff in America, but we're still not reaching. Even 100% of the, you know, 100% of America can't watch Doctor Who. 80% of America can't watch Doctor Who. Maybe 70% can watch Doctor Who. And of course, if you're starting with a base that's already 30% off, then, you know, you're you're going to have problems in marshalling forward any kind of numbers that mean anything. I mean, we're still talking about a show that regularly is watched by. Less than a million viewers in America on BBC America. That was the trade-off: is you get it on BBC America, and you do get, you know, a, a, a network that is going to treat it like it's their star property because it is for them their star property. But uh, you lose instantly, you know, what three quarters of the um, viewing audience that you had on on Sci-Fi. So I mean, it's a step forward in some ways, but it's a real step back in terms of the number of people who can and do actually watch the modern version of Doctor Who in America, whereas in Canada on space, you know, you are talking about a show that at times is the most watched show on a particular night in a particular time slot in the country, which is remarkable. Um, It's funny. With space, you know, if people remember way back when space launched in 1997, Doctor Who was part of the original lineup, and they consulted various major Doctor Who fans like Douglas Adams 
and they were told them start from the beginning because their original thought was start with Tom Baker. The original run of Doctor Who on space, uh, the people running space told me and told anyone else who would listen that it was their lowest rated show. And people were actively turning off when it was on. And they couldn't Space never figured out how to market Classic Who. It's on record as the worst-rated show they had for the two and a half years they aired it, and nothing has ever done worse. And now it's been amusing that Doctor Who is the same channel's biggest show today. It's funny to see that, though. I don't, I don't think they'll ever hear Classic Who on Space again. In, um, in short, listen to last week's Radio Free Scaro for the whole story. A um, couple of little small things uh, to do with, of course, BBC America, of course, uh, from the trailers you've seen, that we actually get it the same day as it is broadcast in the, the UK, which is fabulous. Um, whether they will continue that throughout the entire run. I'm hoping so. Uh, also, uh, I noticed, I don't know how long it's been there, but this week I noticed on uh, on demand on Comcast, uh, on the BBC America uh, menu, they now have Doctor Who and Doctor Who HD. Uh, they've actually done, a, they've actually got HD versions of a couple of their shows uh, on their Primeval, uh, Top Gear, and Luther. Uh, they've got both the uh, regular definition and the HD uh, on there because, um, and I don't know what's stopping uh, Comcast or uh, other cable uh, providers, but we are still, a lot of us, to see uh, BBC America HD uh, cropping up. I've asked a number of times on Twitter and they don't know. They say, go fill out this forum and request it, and I have, and still nothing has moved. But it's nice to see the, the, on the on-demand option on Comcast uh, that uh, that I can actually uh, go in and watch this stuff in HD, whereas I couldn't before, and I can't watch it live in HD. And I doubt we're going to get HD uh, BBC America um, before Doctor Who starts. But yes, that's that's uh, what I wanted to bring up. So if you've got Comcast uh, on demand, uh, go into uh, the BBC America Channel's uh, uh, listing in there, and uh, there's plenty of stuff to be found. All right, Dave. Yeah, <laughs> I'm still here. <laughs> that's good. Uh, I, I think we have to ahead. move on <laughs> to the main main. Ta- yeah, yeah, I just went nipped out yeah. for a quick howl here minutes ago. Yeah, I've been looking at the time, and I'm I'm kind of running out of time because, as I said earlier, I kind of would like to watch the rest of Marchlands tonight because there's not much on TV, and so in lieu of that, I'd like to see the rest of Marchlands. So, if I could put in a quick two penneth about both shows, then I'll disappear and let you get on with the discussion. Dave, have you got something to, to say before we start off on the topic, or can we go straight all, all that, If anybody hasn't seen either of those, I mean, what I should suggest, uh, Tim, if, uh, if you just separate the two and just pause between, because um, there may be people, of course, that have uh, watched one that you're going to talk about, Outcast, but may not have watched Marchlands, and indeed, since you haven't watched it to the end, hopefully your bit on that won't be too spoilerish anyway. So, if you just give us a well, It's a with good reason I want to watch each. the rest of it tonight, because I realise you'll just go and talk about stuff I haven't seen otherwise. Exactly. But, um, well, briefly, 
outcasts, um, they pushed it very big time in this country, didn't they, David? Got the front cover of the Radio Times, which you certainly will not get for every new drama series. And they gave it a, a prime slot. I can't remember which day of the week it was on initially, but they gave it a prime slot at 9pm on BBC One, and they ran lots of trailers for it, and they pushed it and pushed it. And so I thought, oh, this this outcast thing it must be must be good, must be accessible to a mass audience, says I. So so I I I made a date for it every week, and like I do whenever whenever there's I try not always do I succeed, but I try whenever someone makes British sci-fi and puts it on British television to watch it, because it it is such even in this day and age it is not always a common thing, and so. You have to support these things to make the broadcasters realise that there is an audience for them. And so I watched it and I thought... I mean, my biggest problem with it from certainly the early episodes was I felt like we'd been thrown into this story with not remotely enough exposition as to... um, It's just gone nine o'clock and it's a very mild swear word, so I will say, what the hell was going on? (laughs) And... um, so I, I thought, well, if I keep watching it, maybe it will make more sense as as it as the story progresses. <laughs> but but it, but yeah, precisely, Dave. It really was that bad. I'm glad I'm not alone on this. And um, I can't remember how many episodes there were in total, but I was trying to keep track eight. of how, eight. Yeah, I was trying to keep track of how far I'd got in, and whether there was a particular point where it either A, got more interesting and a bit more gripping to watch, and B, and B, actually started making more sense to me as to what the story was that they were trying to tell. Episode and 8. Not for me, not quite that late for me. It was about episode 6 for me. But sadly, by this point, the BBC themselves had lost faith in the programme, and they never used to do this, and Dave will back me up on this. If If they had a show and they'd made, say, eight episodes of it, they would keep it in the original slot, and they would run those eight episodes. But these days, even though the BBC is not a commercial channel, and should not be having to seek out an audience and serve advertisers, if a show is viewed as failing, they won't take it off altogether, but what they do tend to do is they tend to promote it less and move it to a not necessarily a graveyard slot, but certainly a, a, a less prime time slot, a less well known slot, where people are less likely to just come across it because they've been watching the program before. So what they did for I can't remember how many of the final episodes, but it may have been five episodes in something like that. They moved it to 10:30 p.m. on a Sunday night which is not a good time slot because people have got to be at work the next day. Some of them are having an early night. Uh, they they didn't exactly publicise the fact that they were moving it overly heavily, apart from possibly a quick announcement at the end of one of these 9pm episodes one week. And so they effectively started nailing up the coffin of this show right there. They stopped supporting it and... As I say, they, they they had lost faith in it. But as I say, from episode six, 
I, I distinctively remember that. I watched episode six. I'd had to start recording them because they'd moved the slot. And I watched it and I thought, it was actually good this week. I was actually interested in it. It had me a bit more gripped. I am interested. I'm more interested to know what's going to happen next. And so I watched seven and I watched eight. And the most annoying thing about eight is that they've ended the thing on what could be described as a cliffhanger and they've now axed the show. So poor old writers who went to the effort of coming up with this cliffhanger will never get a chance to resolve it, which is um, a bit of a shame. Um, I'll pause for a couple of seconds and say I'm now going to talk about Marchlands. So turn off if you haven't seen it at all. Yeah, just, but, um, just keep this to a minute or two if you can. Well, I haven't because seen much of Archons. I've literally yeah. only seen the first two episodes, so right. I hadn't seen it at all until today. And I knew a few weeks back that we were going to be talking about it, so I made sure I um, acquired it, as we say on here, by other means. Right, so let me stop it there. I've had it sitting yeah. around people and decided to... Yeah, people are listening to the recording, jump to one hour, 50 minutes if you don't want to hear this. So finish at 1 hour 50 if you can see the Ooh. recorded time, Tim, please. <laughs> I can't, can't. Well, very, very quickly, um, it's a ghost story. Um, certainly in the two episodes I've seen so far, we haven't actually physically seen the ghost. And the only person the ghost has been communicating with is uh, the young girl in a family in the, in the current time, in the present day. And uh, her parents, her mother kind of suspects there's a ghost, but at the same time thinks her kid is mentally ill in some way, and her father's kind of backing them up on that, and they're just trying to distract her from that. And all the social services are getting involved and all sorts of stuff. And that that's about as far as I've got with it. But it is, I don't know who the, who's uh, directing it. I've not been keeping a close enough eye on the credits, but... It is very well shot. James Cannon. Uh, the 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 yeah the use of music for atmosphere is wonderful, especially when people who are not uh, part of the family come into the house. Uh, the the dialogue will get to a certain point, and suddenly the music will come up. And it's not even tuneful music necessarily, but it's just there to suggest an atmosphere, and it, it's. It, it's it, it's doing very well on that front, and uh, uh, as, as Dave said to me to try and explain the show a few weeks back, it's the same house, and there's bits of plot happening at different times, and so the the, the bit in the past is uh, the grieving mother of the girl who is now a ghost. Uh, the bit in the present is uh, a girl who she is uh, haunting. Uh, but also there is now a woman who is heavily pregnant but is living in the house mm, that's the one in the 80s that's yeah oh yes well the one in the present day is living in the house where this girl grew up she's and expecting she's, uh, a baby stripping the, the episode I saw uh, a few hours ago episode 2 she's stripping wallpaper away and she like finds a painting on the wall and I instantly thought the writer or the director has been watching Blink, which is not a bad thing. It's a good influence. It's not a direct lift of M Mr. Moffat's ideas. Well, I will, I will say goodbye to you now because I want to rapidly 
um, yep, make, make my sandwiches for tomorrow, and uh, then I'll be sticking the rest of the series on, so you won't be able to spoil me when I stick this show on uh, on, on, on Wednesday afternoon. Right. Uh, um, good, good luck with the rest of the discussion, and uh, I'll leave you now. Thank you, Tim. Oh, and uh, I was Tim. not being, but I just gave that time for people to move ahead to on the recording, so I didn't want them to have anything. So thank you, everybody else in the room, for bearing uh, with us, and uh, it was good to get Tim's uh, input. Uh, pitifully, uh, pity that uh, Charlie P has also had to drop off because uh, we'd have liked to have heard his, but um, that's uh, us going long. So we're going to talk about um, Outcast first. And uh, I'm going to play two little short clips because there's not a lot on them and uh, it will just get us in the mood and everybody else on audio to uh, gear their thoughts up. I've got a lot to say on this, not necessarily positive, but here's the first little trailer. Are there any human beings out there? Very short second trailer, only 20 seconds. Now you may have noticed there were no words in that trailer because... I thought the writing was appalling anyway, and I don't think they could risk using any of the dialogue in the trailer. So, but we don't want to start off on a negative point, and I think Ian was much more of a fan than I was, so he can build it up, and then I'll knock it down. <laughs> well, let's just say I was a medium fan. I was, I was interested. I was engaged in, in you know, in, in the show, uh, and of course. Uh, as, as you know, uh, the uh, the phrase uh, acquired it by uh, other means has often been um, bandied about. Um, and let's just say it wasn't my top priority in finding it, uh, but I was always interested to see what's happening in the next episode. It, I guess I I got the 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 same vibe as um oh what was the show back in I think it was the nineties uh, Earth Two Survivors. Uh, no, Earth Two actually, oh, oh, right. an, an American show, Earth Two, uh, which met a similar fate, uh, got cancelled quite soon after it started. And uh, but I, I find this kind of this this uh, kind of the setup interesting. Uh, the fact that you know they didn't have this big show offy graphic uh, intro of of what happened to the Earth. We still don't really know um, at the at the end of this. Uh, the series, we we don't know really know what happened. You get little glimpses into uh, people's lives, uh, but nothing ever shown on screen. You just hear them talking about you know the days before they left or what their life used to be like, uh, but nothing concrete, which was quite nice in a way that it wasn't all laid out. Um, the thing that I latched onto on this show uh, 
was probably um, President Richard Tate, played by Liam Cunningham, who's got just a gorgeous voice and manner, and he's just, I think he's just fabulous. I could, uh, like other people, listen to him read the phone book. Um, but yeah, it, it it was an interesting setup. Here's here's this uh, the remains of the human race that found a, a planet called, uh, well, as they call it, Carpathia. Um, and there's been a number of uh, transports that have uh, gone, and uh, and this is supposedly, from what they know, the last transport to 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 arrive on Carpathia, the one that uh, uh, brings the villain basically of the piece, uh, Julius, in, in the shape of uh, shape of uh, Julius, uh, played by played wonderfully. Um, by Eric Mabus, um, who uh, a lot of people will recognize from Ugly Betty, but he is just so uh, skin-crawlingly villainous. I, I, I loved him in this. Um, uh, another thing that this one did that, that kind of annoyed people at the outset that I, I do know is the stunt casting of uh, Jamie Bamber uh, in the the... the the first episode, uh, in a similar way that uh, they promoted the fact that uh, Freeman Edgman was to be in Survivors, <laughs> and um, spoiler warning for anybody who has next. Oh yes, Survivors spoilers from two, well. three, two, one. She gets killed in the first episode, um, and of course, so does uh, Jamie Bamber. He goes a bit nuts and then ends up getting shot. Uh, but there's there's some. Uh, politics involved in this, but not too heavy-handed. Uh, there's a wee bit of sci-fi in here, but not too heavy-handed. Um, and there's just a lot of... Uh, I don't know, it's just an interesting show, I think. Uh, a lot of people thought that it was too slow-moving and the dialogue wasn't that great. Uh, for once, actually, in a way, it was nice to have a show that didn't try and rush everything along. Uh, as I said, the, the, the opening... Uh, of this was uh, a new transport arriving and the people that it contained and uh, and basically establishing the ground rules of, of what goes on in Carpathia and things were revealed slowly but surely as, as it went on um, the setting uh, I believe it was filmed in South Africa uh, it's very very nice uh, the, the, the spot that they chose uh, while not looking completely alien didn't exactly look like you know uh, half the forests on Stargate SG-1 um, or you know quarries and Doctor Who. Uh, so it's a nice little setting. Um, yeah, I'm going to stop there and because there's other people in the room and plus we've spoken at length on other things today. Uh, Dave, for the flip well, side. Before uh, I go, I we come. No, no, Before no, I go, no. we seem to be losing people to the dreaded C5 uh, uh, plague <laughs> on the planet. Uh, Benjamin had to drop off, as well as Charlie, uh, Randall Thor, and of course you heard Tim uh, make his appearance. Willis Girl seems to have lost her audio. Uh, uh, I think we ought to get Darth... Darth <laughs> is this, Before he gets stricken but, by it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is this one that you want to make a lot of comments about? If not, I will go next. Uh but if you've got something that you would uh, like to get out there, please go next. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is a show that I was very excited to know about, largely because 
uh, and this ties in with a, a show that we've done, uh, what, last week or week before that. Um, it, it was a show that was brought to my attention because of a person that was involved with it. Um, right. This is this is where Ed Thomas, who is the production designer on Doctor Who for series one through five, went uh, after apparently leaving the series. Um, and it, it was therefore fascinating to me because I'm like, what in the world could make Ed Thomas leave his position at Doctor Who to go somewhere else? Uh, so I thought it must be a great series because he wouldn't just up and leave what's got to be one of the greatest jobs for a production designer in the industry today, unless he was thinking that something great was going to be waiting for him. And indeed, you know, say what you want about the story and other things. And maybe I'll talk about that in a minute. The production design on this thing is, I think, very close to, if not exactly, Edward Thomas's masterwork. It is gorgeous. It is this lovely, realistic, and yet very slightly advanced um, set work that makes you think, okay, this could have happened. Don't know why we're in this environment. Don't know why things look as they do, but it does look like this came from Earth, and it does look like they built this thing from products. Yeah, containers from products that they would have brought with them on their journey from Earth. It is stunning. The control room especially is this cool mixture of sleek and yet at the same time, you know, slightly cobbled together in a way. Um, I I just think it's a stunning piece of production design Um, and, and builds really upon Edward Thomas's work with specifically the Waters of Mars, because I think, you know, Waters of Mars got singled out as a brilliant piece of production design in the same way that Midnight was awarded uh, several different awards on the basis of its sound design. You know, I think you can see, if you follow Ed Thomas around, I think you can see a, a clear link between the Waters of Mars and this episode. But hang on, just one mm. thing, just to interrupt. I'm sorry, because I mentioned about somebody else interrupting. Um, the, the, the thing with the waters of Mars, it was the location people had hit the jackpot, surely, by using Eden as their location, rather than it being set design, would you have thought? Or are you no, talking no, about no. the other part no, of it? No, no, he did actually get nominated and win awards within several guilds for his production design work. No, I mean, okay. the, the, I mean there are... Lots of sets in the waters of Mars. I mean, yes, I know that there is that that one very narrow part of the narrative in in which they're in sort of a, a jungly environment, and that is you know a location uh, in Wales. But the vast majority of of that episode does take place within sets. Okay. Yeah, uh, and and you can and you can see that he's he's trying to do the same thing with um, outsiders that he was doing with the waters of Mars in that he's trying to build a realistic version of a vision rather of the future. Um, and I just think he just hit it out of the park. Um, and it's sad that the series is really, it is canceled. It's dead. Um, and, and maybe there were narrative mistakes that happened or whatever, but in terms of something to put on your resume, wow. 
uh, if you're a production designer and you're interested in production design, I, it, from the first frame of this thing, my mouth and jaw were on the floor by how incredible it looked. And I, I very much take on board Ian's point that what a, a masterwork to set this thing in a part of South Africa that is unique to South Africa. And therefore, it is something which smacks of slightly alien to the rest of us who don't live there. Um, just, you know, I, and I'm also excited, very much from a behind-the-scenes standpoint, of the deal that went down to make this thing happen. I mean, seriously, if you look at the credits, look at how many different people were coming together. I mean, it's a BBC America co-production. It's a BBC Wales co-production. It's a um, you know, it's German co-production. It's Kudos too uh, in it. But a number of different nations come, came together and, and put this project together in a sort of similar way to what's happened to Primeval. And I think it's really exciting in a way that we live in a time where you can have the major players in various countries come together to build something which is not specifically British, it's not specifically American, it is just, this is a, a more or less, it's a sort of a world production, a global production for television. I think that's just terribly exciting. Now, picking up on some, some narrative points, uh, first of all, cheap trick with Jamie Bamber. Gotta say, totally freaking cheap. I was into this thing because there's Jamie Bamber. I love Jamie Bamber. I wanted him to be in the thing, and he gets killed. And the thing that sucks about him getting killed is that while that murder or death is referenced later on, and it does have sort of a narrative significance, at the end of the day, it could have been any damn person. It really it it's wasn't that shock big a deal. That's all. Yeah, I, yeah. You know, because you think, and I, then that's sort of a good trick to play. You put the guy in it who's, you know, a big star, and you're thinking they'll never get rid of him because he's the big star, and then they do. Okay, whatever. But in this particular case, because I really, myself, like Jamie Bamber, I didn't want to see him go. I wanted to see him in another role that I could, you know, really hold on to. Um, but. Whatever. I, that, that did upset me. Not enough to make me stop watching, but that was kind of bad. The other thing is, speaking to Tim's point, you know, they put us down into a, a narrative without giving us any exposition, and that, that was a bad idea. Well, I refer the right honorable gentleman to Star Wars. Hello. That's a great <laughs> idea. Um, it, it may not have been handled in the best way here because the mysteries weren't... Um, tangible enough for the audience. Uh, it, it wasn't... The, the beauty about Star Wars is that it doesn't tell you a damn thing about what's going on. You never know what's oh, going whoa, on. Whoa, Even whoa, after whoa, we got whoa, off whoa. the dicks. Scrolling text right at the beginning. Yeah. Oh, come on. It sets the story right at the beginning with scrolling text. Three paragraphs of text is not exposition. And, and, and besides which, you don't... If you watch it now, it starts out with episode four. 
I mean, so you don't know where the hell you are in it. Um, it's even more confusing. It's like, where, did, did I miss the uh, other uh, three yeah. episodes? What? Yeah, I mean, if you watch it in, in, in release order, you're really not, you don't have that to go on. And episode one is hardly episode one. I mean, think about how it starts out. You start out with a ship coming into another ship, and then these two guys with lightsabers get off of it, and suddenly, before you know it, they're in a gas filled room and you don't understand why and then they're just beating up on people you don't know what the hell's going on no, and then, no. and then Al- Alec Guinness explains quite a lot to the young guy anyway the, the, but I'll take, <laughs> but I'll anyway, take the, your point yeah, the, the, the point is it's a, it's a fine way to start a story it's absolutely got a great tradition within science fiction to start a story that way the problem here is that unlike Star Wars you don't have fast editing that was the genius of Star Wars is cutting together things in a very quick way so that the, you, you don't have time as a, an audience member to wonder what the hell is going on because it's going by too fast. problem here is this is going by too slow. And so you have time to think, Why, what, what the hell? I don't understand what's going on. The, the first few moments, maybe the first 30 minutes especially of episode one, uh, 15 minutes of episode one of this series, I thought was brilliant. I mean, that, that was edited fine for me. It was after that where you know the treacle starts to set in and it becomes relatively slow. And I thought that they telegraphed certain things, um, such Oof. as the burgeoning romance between Fleur and Cass, um, and way too obviously. The Julius I mean, character was with his smirk from the first time he comes on screen. You think, oh, that was well, brilliant. he's a he's a wrongan from the start. And why don't exactly. these people? Why don't these people see is manipulating them? But see, that's not necessarily a problem. What I thought when I saw that character was not, um, oh, this is really obvious. What I thought is, oh, this is a ripoff from Battlestar Galactica. In fact, I kind of got a Battlestar Galactica vibe through most of this thing, but especially with respect to to that character because that's you know your Baltar character. I mean, you know from the very beginning of Battlestar Galactica. Baltar is evil. The whole game is, how is he evil? What is he yeah. doing? I'm, and that, I'm, I'm and that, sorry. Was, that was that was sort of satisfying to me as as we progress through Outsiders. Is you you know exactly in what way is this guy who clearly is wrong? How is he wrong? What is he up to? And I, right. you know, unfortunately, I don't think we really got answers by the end of it. I mean, that's that's sort of yeah. where they were going for a proposed series two. Um, but I, I, I'm going to agree with Ian on this one. I mean, he was a delicious character. Um, the only, the only problem with him, as far as I saw, was he is pretty much a replicant of Baltar in the modern Battlestar Galactica. Um, hence, hence, hence my comment on there was a little bit of politics and a little bit of the mm. things that I didn't particularly like from from uh, the, you know, the the new yeah. Battlestar Galactica. It was, mm-hmm. it was light on that for me, which right. made it easier for me to watch. Yeah. I mean, I didn't mind the fact that it was obvious to us he was a baddie, but to me, the way his conversations with other ca- the other members, like the, the chap who was on the outside patrol, Ben, I think he was called. Uh, Jack uh, uh, Jack, eh? Jack, was it? And uh, mm. it was so, I mean, we assume that Jack was not that bright, but um, it wasn't the fact that we knew he was bad. I mean, that's, that smirk told us everything we needed to know right at the beginning. Right. But the, it, 
I couldn't understand why the other people within the storyline couldn't say. Anyway, I'm going to hold my piece. I'm going to send him more. No, 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 so that's a, no. Let's explore that that point for a minute because I think it's an interesting one. Um, I think very it's very true um, that. I mean, the the people within the narrative did know that. The president clearly knew this guy's bad. But the the interesting situation here is, because this is apparently the last refuge of humanity, he doesn't have the luxury of doing what you would normally do in a situation like that, which is, you know, use your police guys to get rid of him, or, <laughs> you know, kill him, or... or Somehow send, marginalize send him on a suicide Some, mission or whatever. You don't have that option because you need everybody you, you know, have left because so few people are left. So it became a really interesting thing of how does this this president, who seems basically a good guy, but you know may have done some things in the past that are a little mm. morally questionable. Um, how does he politically handle a guy he can't get rid of? I found that tension fascinating. That was, to my mind, a little bit unique about this particular setup, and, and certainly something different from maybe most of the Baltar tension in, in Battlestar Galactica, because you know there there was still, you know, you got a Dama, and Dama's gonna at some point he gets really sick of Baltar, and he just says, you know, I'm gonna get rid of you. I don't care what it, you know, I don't care that you're one of the last ten thousand people alive or whatever. You're gone. You're an evil person. But this guy. You know, here doesn't have that option, and I, I just that tension was okay to me. Um, I, you know, in terms of other characters that were subtly done, you know, in in I think opposition to the characters we may have talked about already. Um, th- there was the guy who was the um, the disc jockey who Tip-like. you know has a brilliant mind, and at the same time. <laughs> Right, has depression issues or whatever. I thought that guy was brilliant. Not only the acting, but I didn't see the depression issues coming. I didn't see the flip side of the brilliance. I mean, I know that maybe that's been explored before in certain movies, like that. Uh, what, what's the Ron Howard movie about the guy who? I forget what the name of it is. But I mean, you know, there is a precedent for brilliant people having depression. Fine. We know that happens in real life. But I didn't see that with this character at all. I mean, he starts out as just a punk, so you don't know that he's brilliant. Uh, and he looks like he's just a guy who... He's opted you know, out, he? yeah. Right. And then he becomes somebody that the police need because he's the one that's got the genius mind. And you're like, whoa, what? And then, you know, he's he gives a lie to the idea in science fiction that the... Um, youthful guy who knows everything is a terrible character. I mean, this is not Wesley Crusher in any way, shape, or form. This is a multidimensional character played by an actor who is really into the role. And, you know, we find out that he's brilliant. Then we find out that he's got depression issues. Then, you know, we need him to solve a problem, but he won't because he's holed up in his, you know, apartment and he might kill himself. That, I just thought that was a really nice character study. And I think that's the positive side of Outsiders being a slow-to-burn kind of narrative. Because it, it, it did give you the ability to really get into the mind of at least that one character. And, and was a marked contrast to the sort of, I thought, kind of crappy and standard development that we got with the Fleur and Cass relationship, which, you know, come on, from day one, you know that they like each other, you know that they're going to get together, and you know that right before the series ends, Something's going to happen, and they're not going to get together because, you know, 
people who like each other in television series don't get together because you need that sexual tension to continue telling stories. Whatever, that was stupid. But it's a really odd mixture of things going on in this production. You know, great production values, great locations, um, great central idea, really, um, but some clumsy characterization, some clumsy dialogue on one hand. And on the other hand, some really quite brilliant stuff that you don't see in in science fiction enough of. Um, and, And yet, at the same time, it really does. If you're a Battlestar Galactic fan and you watch this thing, there is no way you're going to think anything other than, oh, okay, this is basically Battlestar Galactica in, in between seasons two and three where they were on, you know, New Earth or whatever it was called. Um, and they're trying to form a, a new society on a planet as opposed to being in space. That's what you're going to go to. Your mind's going to go there. But a lot of good stuff. Well, uh, look, I'm, really ch- I'm chewing my microphone here, but I really feel go, so go. with Willis with Willis girl coming back into Willis girl. Yeah. And you're, you're not being that complimentary in your text. Do you want to go next? I will defer to you. If not, I will go on a rant. Okay, um, I'm just very extremely happy that the show has been cancelled. It's the most boring <laughs> show uh, that's ever been created in the 21st century. I mean, I. I, don't know, I didn't see a point of it. It was just so boring, and nothing ever seemed to happen. And uh, every time I watched it, I, I would, like, struggle to stay awake. <laughs> Everything just happened at a very slow, glacial pace. I, I just hated it. And, and also I hated that on the first episode, they killed off Jamie Bamber. You know, Jamie Bamber from Battlestar Galactica, who hires that guy just to, to kill him off. It was just a struggle to get through this show. I, I, I didn't like it, and I'm glad it's gone. That's all I got to say. Well, like, first like, of all, also, thank, like thank, said, it, it has great production values. It, you know, you get pretty pictures, but no substance. Well, thank you. That 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 is a, a rather blunt assessment of of uh, my my assessment might not seem so bad now, but thank you for that contribution. Uh, let me say first of all, um, there's an, an awful lot of what. Uh, Ian and uh, Darth have said that I agree with. I mean, the, the the rolling credits at the beginning, I'm thinking, gosh, this is like Band of Brother type credits. You know, they're so expertise. You almost, you know, it set you up for this is going to be good. The the, the production values outstanding. The casting was excellent. I absolutely yeah. agree that the, the, the Liam Cunningham character, the leader, he, he had that authority, he had that um, gravitas or whatever you want to call it. Uh, if if I was uh, on that expedition, I would like him to be the leader. But the, the there was so it basically to me it misfired. It was a flawed production. But I do take on board it really was um, the production values and everybody. But I do think the characterisation and the writing let it down. I mean, I'm going to try and give jumping about isolated things. Why? First of all. Um, Yes, the city looked great. It was built around the uh, the ship that landed. And, of course, when their ship landed, uh, as the story begins, they didn't know there was going to be any more ships landing. So they'd cobbled together everything. They'd made use of every particular piece of metal they could harness, and they'd, they'd made it a fortress and protection and so on. But here, here are some things. They didn't bring any horses. 
they didn't bring any vehicles. There was not one vehicle there. I mean, what? I mean, if they didn't bring vehicles because they thought there's going to be no oil to 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 power them, then why didn't they bring horses to 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 move around? I mean, were they going to live within walking distance forever? Um, those those stupid guns put me right off for a start. But I'm thinking, well, they're going to bring them out as a toy, so they're making them non like a gun, so that they can sell them without kids being arrested by policemen on the street. Um, the um, the the way that the characters acted, for instance, um, the security woman Stella, uh, she's been hanging, kept asking, "Is her daughter? Is her daughter on this flight?" When they see that there's one last uh, arrival coming, one last ship coming. And then what's she going to do? She's waiting for her husband and her daughter. She goes and sleeps with somebody the same night. You yeah, know, that's, that's, gonna, that's gonna that's gonna cheer that's gonna cheer her daughter up a lot, isn't it? Um, yeah. yeah, unbelievable. Then 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 we're in this thing where they say, oh yeah, we make our own beer. I only ever saw them drinking like a a, a milky looking sake. It didn't look like beer at all to me. Then there's another episode where somebody comes in, uh, one of the original people throwing diamonds around, you know, and everybody goes diamond mad. The diamonds are not worth anything. They're not going back to earth to sell them. And unless they're going to be industrial diamonds, and by the way, these diamonds weren't rough, uncut diamonds. These diamonds came out of the ground, highly polished, 26-faceted, beautifully cut diamonds. Unbelievable. Uh, I couldn't believe that. Um, Mm -hmm. the, um, The storms... They had the last of what they call the whiteouts. They'd been on this planet for nearly 10 years. And yet on the ship that's been travelling for five years to the planet, suddenly a scientist on board that has information that there's going to be one really big whiteout at the end of the season. But they've lived 10 years on this planet, nine years on this planet. They must have had nine end of seasons and never had this <laughs> massive whiteout at the end of it. So why mm-hmm. was that a shock to them? Um mm-hmm. Uh, then there was the bit where um, uh, there was a, a bit where Cass and Fleur nearly got executed when they'd been out underneath this big hanging rock. About two episodes later, Fleur and uh, Bing go out on a, a camping run, and um, they get lost right underneath this rock that they were nearly assassinated under the previous weeks. Uh, they're walking around. We can see our moon clearly in the bloody sky and then they set up camp and we suddenly have a double gigantic double moon in the sky um they're they they they're out in the wilderness on their own but they know these acs are out there so they pitch this tent nobody on bloody guard and then they get dragged one of them gets dragged out of the tent i mean that 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 was unbelievable what else? Um, the chap with the... He brought the old-fashioned DJ and stuff. Well, although this is not far in the future, they've got light drive to get to a bloody star. I mean, the nearest star is four light years away from us. So the, the, this, this takes a five-year flight to get to this place. And yet he's brought old-style bloody 78 records. Well, CDs would have been bloody old-style by yeah, then. Yeah, Why that's you right. CDs? And, and then at one point, he... he breaks one of his own records and then a couple of episodes later somebody's threatening to bend one of them and he goes ballistic because they're irreplaceable um then the um the what was the other one the um oh there's so many that uh oh yeah the prisoner they have the prisoner there and uh, uh the cast brings him this snack he says uh I'm sorry, we, we've only got rubbish, you know, I can't give you much. He gives him a banana and something else. He said, it's all we can manage for you. Bananas? 
that'd be like prize fruit. You probably have to pay a week's wages for a banana when you're on a strange foreign world and they've only got a hydroponics to keep them going. Uh, they're just cultivating things. I would have thought a banana would have been about the top food they could have had. I mean, it wasn't sort of, uh, you know, a hydroponic gloop. It was a banana. I mean, uh, oh, what else, what else, what else? Yeah, the when the the DJ Tipper is in the isolation tent, the bloody security woman, Stella, goes back in to see him, takes a bloody mass uh, uh, space, uh, her isolation suit off her head, so she contaminates herself. Not only does she contaminates herself, she then comes out of that environmental hazard tent. And nobody says, hang on, we'll have to quarantine you now. Um, but having said all that, when it got to episode six, like Tim said, it began to get interesting. And although I didn't really care, I thought yeah. episode eight was pretty good. Um, I absolutely did like the, the Liam, the Richard, the character. I thought he was... Uh, the linchpin of it, even though uh, the other thing that they did with this series, that uh, everybody you thought was good in episode one turned out to be bad or shady, had a shady past. And the ones you thought were good at the beginning, uh, sorry, yeah, the ones you thought were good had a shady past, the ones you thought were bad turned out to be good. So in other words, you know, Cass and the leader all had probably some sort of secrets. The ones that were, were, um, bad at the beginning like um uh, the 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 black guy in charge of the outer perimeter jack. and the dj jack the D, yeah and the dj tipper uh, they turned out to be quite good um what else uh oh there's so many points uh yeah the the crashed um the crashed um capsule that landed we said at the beginning that they'd foraged and they'd made absolutely every last bit of use they could have of what they took to that planet in terms of that. They never sent anybody out to uh, try and do something with that pod. It was like a living compartment. It would've, you would have found some way of at least stripping it down for what assets it had in amongst it. But nobody seemed to bother and do anything about that whatsoever. Um, what else? Oh, I'm sure there's a, a lot of others. But basically, uh, oh yeah, there are a couple of things. Uh, we're, the, the, we're, we're talking along, something has happened with this sort of, uh, 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 they talked about visions, about the leader having visions. And then all of a sudden, the word used was the host force. But we never saw any discussion about what they might think this was. Suddenly they're walking down the corridor, and it's the uh, stellar, and uh, the leader, Richard, walking, and he said, well, should we tell them it's the host force that's doing this? And the host force, when did they decide on that was the name uh, for this creature? Um, uh, so, oh dear me. Uh, but, having said that, I think the reason why I'm annoyed is because I could see this would could have been pretty tremendous as a series and, and and to go on to the dj i think that tipper character probably was going to play a more important role in in any second series that came about so very high production standards loved the title sequence loved lots about it and just before i get a reaction to all that i've said uh, i've only got one more clip and it's um uh, a little bit about the crass cass cromwell character here we go 40 seconds Meeting you was the best thing that ever happened to me. You gave me this 
place, this life. And it was one of the best decisions I ever made. But I have blood on my hands again. Cass, you're a good man. You've been some wild goose chase, Cass. Trouble? Where's your spirit of adventure? We're here for the ballet lesson. You can either this talk now again, or No, I can't think of any jokes. I'm really in trouble. Just go! I swear my tent there. Don't get any ideas. Yeah, right. Temptation for you, I'm worried about. And the other thing I didn't quite like was the sort of Doctor Smith moment, uh, and it's been actually it's been done in Blake Seven as well, where where um, the the chap, uh, the smirky one, goes into his room and suddenly gets his radio out and calls this other ship. Um, I thought that was a little bit uh, what's the word? Pache, pas- whatever. Anyway, Ian, um, yeah, I, I, I take on board lots of things that you and Darth said, but I do I do feel that it's slightly, well, it misfired, and probably misfired big time, but I am disappointed because it had an awful lot going for it, and as I say, individual actors did their parts. I, I think it was either scripted badly, or they made some cuts that would have explained the actions of some of the characters, uh, and because they got cut, their actions suddenly didn't look... Um, look right as it were Ian I, I mean I find I find a lot of what you say very very nitpicky uh, small details that got overlooked uh, I think if it had been a, a faster paced show you probably wouldn't have noticed half of that stuff um, because it was uh, but why no vehicles why no horses I mean that didn't make sense I mean you're evacuating earth are you going to save uh, 50 people, or bring a truck. Well, I understand them not being in vehicles, but I would have thought they brought horses. And Well, I mean, the pigs, at least pigs you would have brought, and you're getting every part of a bloody pig. I mean, you, you would gotta, have thought... You gotta... Well, what do you... No, no, because it's, it's a five-year journey. You're going to take a chance on trying to keep uh, cattle alive, a five-year journey to another planet. Well, hang on a minute. They clone people. They had ACs there. They could really clone pigs. Yes, they could. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with Dave. Well, maybe, maybe, Thank you. maybe in a, one Come of the buildings they girl. never showed. <laughs> maybe in one of the buildings that they never showed you, they were cloning pigs in there. Well, actually, there's probably a reason why they didn't clone pigs because they 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 thought that the ACs uh, uh, caused uh, the virus. So. Maybe they abandoned their pig cloning process as well. Maybe, maybe it was a, a kosher spaceship. <laughs> <laughs> but, but like, I, I mean, my point still stands. I think you, the, because it's a slower moving thing, you get that chance to kind of uh, look around and and start seeing kind of the holes in the cheese. Um, and uh, I think, I mean. I wanted I it to be good, I think. That's the other reason. I, I really wanted... I mean, it, as as Tim was said, it, there was a, I mean, they were advertising this eight, nine months out before. It was gone, and it was really going to be a flagship programme. Um, and you can even see that the, 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 the people who produced it lost faith. Just to give some information from the wiki page, um, it started with... Um, was it four and a half million people for the pilot episode? The show lost nearly two thirds of its viewers over its run. 
Yeah, it's it, it's it's one of those shame things because, like you said, it ended up it ended on a high note. Um, it did. It did. I agree it with set that. Set up a lot of lovely stuff. Um, loved what they did with with the Jack Holt character. Would have actually liked to have seen him stay president for a little bit longer than he did, because, um, like I say, he he wasn't stupid. You know. Um, and, I mean, he ended up making the right decision. He passed the presidency. Um, yeah. I mean, the back, other one, with, uh, with sorry, I've just remembered the other one I was going, with the Tipper character. I mean, we realise, like, like Dale says about the Depression one, but it suddenly jumped to this where he's, 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 he's going on that mine machine. That was another thing. This, why was the doctor head of security? She was a doctor. She had this mine machine that could bring people's memories back to them. And yet she was head of security. Oh, and that was the other thing that really annoyed me. They, they banned guns in the bloody city. And when somebody came in with a gun, the security guards didn't have their guns to stop them. I mean, <laughs> when you say a ban of guns, you don't ban the security guards from wearing the guns. You ban civilians from wearing the guns. Well, I mean, that, that, that's assuming that basically your population isn't armed. Well, why have a ban? If, you, if they don't have guns, you wouldn't need a ban in the first place because they wouldn't have the guns to be banned. I mean... Oh, but the guns would have been, you know, transported there on the same ships that transported the people, which means that whoever was the captain of the ship or whoever was in charge of the ship had, you know, a gun store. That's where the guns originate. So the guns are only for police use. What they're saying is no guns from anybody inside the compound it's not like there's you know this other group of people out there i mean there were other the but people originated guns yeah but i mean they originated from the ship i mean they, i don't think that when the the rule started that there was a, an anticipation that there would be two different groups of people i think you know from the time the rule started which is almost certainly from when they you know landed and built the city um the the idea would be that the guns would have been in control of the police, and so the rule was really one that controlled the police. It wasn't one that was meant to control the yeah, population thought, because yeah, the population right. wouldn't have guns. You know I thought it was good, yeah, I thought it was to stop the ones on the outside perimeter bringing the guns. You know, they were all right when they were on duty, but they weren't supposed to bring it into the bars and things. But anyway, uh, right. fair enough. Um, um, Perhaps we ought to give everybody one last comment on it, and then, if we've got time, to move on to Marshlands, which, uh, because as we've got the, those people who've made it listening to the recording so far, congratulations and well done. <laughs> but we've got episode uh, 93 next week. We're doing The Master, obviously from Doctor Who. That's the 10th of April. And episode 94, the week later, we're doing uh, Being Human, UK version, and then the US version. And also, if we have time, uh, becoming human, the uh, the little red button uh, series that was put together to make it like a forty-five minute, yeah. But um, at the, as we just passed the two hour and a half mark, I think if we're going to start Marchlands, we ought to start it soon. But right. I'm sure everybody might want to just have a a final conclusion. Mine one would be that Outcast. Um, could have been so much better, and that's probably why I have um, more of a strong reaction to the flaws. I mean, if it wasn't that good, 
it, it wouldn't have mattered those flaws. It was because I could see that there's, and and I absolutely will repeat again um, the leader played by uh, Richard, who um, Liam Cunningham was the outstanding actor. I think Daniel Mays was okay, and some of the others were all right. One or two of the others weren't keen on the, the girl who played Fleur, but I thought, she, uh, for what she was given, she did a good job. Um, the the American actor, I feel as though he he, he 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 delivered that menace very well. I just felt as though it was so telegraphed that I couldn't understand why the other characters within the programme didn't pick up on it. Other than, of course, I know Liam, uh, the, sorry, the uh, Richard character uh, was aware of it, but um, I'm going to stop on that, so we'll not move on. Anybody else want to have a final comment? Yeah, I mean, I, I'll certainly come in there. Um, I, I think, like Liam, like, sorry, I was thinking about your son. Like, like Ian, um, I uh, am... Uh, more favorable on the series, although probably for different reasons, maybe. I mean, I, I'm, I'm really into the, the visuals of this thing, and I, for me, the visuals take me, I think, a lot further maybe than they, they take you. Um, I, I, and I'm also excited about where this might lead. I mean, yes, the series might be dead, but maybe the relationships that were, that were formed in creating this thing, because you know, it was such an international production, will lead to something else. I'm certainly hoping that we get more, whatever the, whatever the financial model that was used to get us to South Africa, I certainly hope that we've learned something, or that the BBC has learned something, that they will be able to you know, film a regular series in South Africa again. Because um, that, that was just stunning. I mean, even if you don't like the plot at all, it was worth watching as simply a travelogue, in a way. Um, I, I really think it's a, a brave and bold experiment, this series. I think the, the idea of trying to do a, a slow-burn narrative right from the start... Um, man, that that was that was ballsy, um, and I think it ultimately was the reason that the the show failed. I don't think it failed because of sort of the nitpicky reasons that you were given um, just a few minutes ago. I think it failed because the the writer, first of all, wrote the thing on his own apparently, and therefore didn't necessarily have anybody there to. Um, inject new ideas and to suggest different ways of doing things. Um, and I think it, it failed maybe because of the editing, too, that there were choices mm -hmm. that were made that I wouldn't have made if I were editing it together, for sure. Uh, there, were, there were many shots where they just really hung like molasses on a, a, a frame and kept it there when they really should have been moving much, much quicker, I think. So I don't, the editing style, I got a big problem with. Um, I really hope that something like this will be tried again because it wasn't super hard science fiction, you know, clearly. I mean, I think that while you have been uh, nitpicky there, I think you brought up, Dave, some, some things that should have been thought about. You know, especially the diamond thing. The diamond thing was clearly ridiculous, and that did take me out of it. As soon as they put them on the thing, I'm like, what? They're cut? How are they cut? You know, that, that was dumb. 
And they they needed somebody, I think, a good script editor, or better than that, they needed to have multiple writers on the concept, I think, to, to come together and come up with something that had a lot more ideas. The big, the big problem is it just didn't have enough beats. Like, it's a weird show because the the cliffhangers are actually really good throughout the entire series. I mean, at the end of the episode, this show does know how to, you know, make you want to come back. But the problem is everything from, you know, the first ten minutes to the last five minutes. You know, that part of it was relatively slow, and they needed to have, you know, like what Stephen Moffat says, you know, every ten minutes you should do something in your narrative that makes your audience go, what the hell is happening? And I think that... I think that was the problem with um, Outcast is that it wasn't every 10 minutes. It was more like every 30 minutes that there was something that was like, whoa, that's kind of cool. And that wasn't enough. Um, but I really do hope that this won't be seen as like a total failure where, you know, the, the BBC no. gives up on trying to do ori- original science fiction. I was hoping that this would become, you know, the you know, next Doctor Who in a way that you could have this on Saturday nights or whatever, um, or Sunday nights or whatever, in the off season from Doctor Who so that you still had something to go to. Um, it's not. But I think it, in, a, in a lot of ways this is a braver show for me than Merlin, for instance, which is a hit, um, and which clearly is the BBC trying to, you know, get another show like Doctor Who that it can have to run when Doctor Who isn't running. Um, and I, I, it's just a so unfortunate to me that this show didn't make it because it it could have been. And I hope that we're not going to see the death of, you know, other new attempts at science fiction on on the BBC. Now, one final thing is, I know I'm crazy, and I'm just going to throw this out because we're getting close to Doctor Who time, so I'm just going to say it. The whole time I was watching um, Amy, what's her name, Amy Manson? The, the person who played Fleur, I was thinking, please make her a Doctor Who companion. Please. Because she is just a, such a revelation to me. I mean, she's intelligent, and yet... I mean, the way that she acts is intelligent. Yeah, I, I uh, enjoyed her. I really, really enjoyed her. And then that... I also thought, you know, there was that one episode where there was, like, the... the um, Oh, the AC who was like sort of a, a linebacker, an American line, football linebacker. Yeah, the one they gave the banana to, yeah. yeah. Right. Like, I also thought he was fabulous. Um, and I, I don't know why, but as I was watching that episode, I was like, you know what would be great is to take Matt Smith and to throw him with these two people as companions and then see what the hell happened. Because I think that would be, you know, two really opposite people, a boy, a girl, no romance, just people from totally the opposite ends of the world, what would happen if Matt Smith was in between them? And I, I, I mean, I guess as a Doctor Who fan, we always sort of play the game of, you know, mm-hmm. while we're watching other things, oh, this guy would make a great Doctor, or this person would make a great companion, or whatever. But for some reason with this series, I, I strongly felt that. And um, I, I'm glad at least that this series did introduce me to Amy Manson, because she was, she was good stuff. Okay, uh, and just one thing uh, before we go to Willis Girl. Um, the, the thing with the diamonds could have worked if they'd said something like that this host 
had, had done that to tempt them, hoping that they would destroy each other and kill each other. And it was a, a temptation that had been thrown to them. And that's why they were caught, because they'd actually conjured those diamonds out, because they could manipulate, presumably they could manipulate, you know, the raw materials. And right. Bring them to I mean, that home. Uh, right. I mean, it's not, it's not the... Um, I bought the idea that they had a value. Because they do have a value. They are the hardest substance that man knows. I mean, maybe, maybe they aren't the hardest substance on this planet, but they are a hard substance and therefore are good tools. And at least, you know, in this economy, which would essentially be a barter economy, that actually could yeah, be if, worth if, you can, if everybody can go, and buy a, get, go to the beach and get a hundred weight of them, then they're not going to actually be that valuable, are they? But they they're didn't be useful. know that. They didn't know that and at it, the time. Yeah. Okay, Willie Skrill, do you want to have a quick summation, emphasis on the quick? Only that I would not uh, recommend this show to my worst enemy. That's it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Ian, then. Okay, um, yeah, uh, I mean, I agree with you know, what basically most of Darth said. Uh did find something interesting, of course, is that... Uh, um, that uh ooh, now I've forgotten her name. <laughs> uh I'll I'll ramble on here. Um What the actress who yeah, played was, Fleur? Yes. She was a- Amy Man- in, Ma- Mason. She's been in Torchwood. Oh, right. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yes. She played Alice Guppy. Who worked for uh, Torchwood uh, Cardiff in the Lake Victorian ever. So, in fragments and exit wounds. Um, but anyway, uh, back to uh, Outcast. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm always sorry when you know, a, a, a plot like this has been kind of left hanging in, in midair and we're never going to get to see a conclusion. I'd like to see how it plays out. Oh, uh, she was in Being Human, Daisy. She didn't play Daisy, surely. Yeah. Yeah, now you say it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you quite like Daisy, didn't you? <laughs> Who wouldn't? Uh, I realise you play Daisy and be human. And, I, and I, I'm going to be completely bad on this. And, and, <laughs> and even though even though I did bring it up earlier about the stunt casting of Jamie Bamber, um, I don't know why they cast him in this, because I don't really think he's that great. Um, he's good-looking, sure. That's very good-looking. But I, yeah. don't, I don't see the appeal of the man. He's, he's what? Com- competent enough in 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 uh, Law and Order UK, but aside from that, I just don't get it. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, see, there's me being controversial, getting people's backs up right at the end. <laughs> oh well, yeah, you're, you're not yeah. a fan of Dar- of, of Battlestar Galactica, so that's no, no. that's all I can say. Because honestly, if you had been a fan, it's it's more than you're not a fan. You really haven't seen most of Battlestar Galactica. No, not really. No, so, I mean, you especially as you get into like season three and four, where there there are genuine dilemmas for the the character that Bamber plays. You know, you do see that he has a versatility, and it's, you know, the thing about Bamber that impresses me is he is one of those rare Britons who has a perfect American accent. It is absolutely unassailable, as far as I can tell. And you know, to not only have the accent, but then to create a character that is completely identifiable as a distinct character, man, 
I, I have total respect for him as an actor, but you don't have that experience with a man, so if all you got is Law and Order, who in Law and Order is great? I mean, it's I mean, just I've Law and Order. Episodes, I just never followed the entire series of, of Battlestar. You know, yeah. Uh, so, you know, uh, oh, there are some brilliant people in Order UK. I do like that show. Anyway, uh, yeah. but yeah, it's, it's, it's a shame that we didn't get to finish the story off. Um, although I've got to bring up one thing um, after some, doing some hard reading on the uh, the Wikipedia page, and, and Dave, you're just going to love this. Uh, a comment <laughs> from uh, Ben Richards, uh, the writer and creator of the show. Uh, he remained defiant, and here's the little clip. Uh, he remained defiant, commenting, "I have every confidence that we will uh, rule our new time slot." Um, of course, referring to when they they moved them to the Sunday night late night slot, which is basically the the the, the death slot. Um, this is clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. And then the second quote was, "Coltdom beckons." And keep watching because the hardcore. Uh, well, keep watching hardcore because remaining episodes are great. Coltdom yeah, beckons. There you go. Well, both you and I, both you and I, Ian, tweeted, and he replied to that, didn't he? I think mm-hmm. yeah. on our tweets. Yes, I, I, I supported him, and Dave swept the legs up from under him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so he knows here, here about him anyway. Here I am getting a response from the people at Outcast, and then Dave goes, "Well, it's rubbish anyway, isn't it?" <laughs> Uh, there we go. We're never going to get them on the show. <laughs> All right. I think it's about time we uh, we uh, shifted over to Mart's list. Right. Before. Well, I hope you other people can stay with us in the room. Well, well I've got quite a few clips, uh, which I'm going to skip. Uh, you might yeah. be grateful for that. I'm going to click <laughs> the ones about talking about and go straight to... This is the um, the start of episode two. Remember, spoilers for Marchlands. This was um, the other UK series that we're now covering, and it uh, is a five-episode story. And here's the beginning of episode two, so it's basically just recapping the first episode. It's been six months now. You've just got to get on. I'm tired. Everything reminds me. Just imagine if I told you the last. Just go down to it. She did see I don't want you talking to her anymore, do you understand? You wouldn't wander off. Why can't you just accept it? Because she wouldn't do that. But she did. I didn't know you could find him. He's the woman. All I'd want to see. She's dead. Let's spread her out the first row. She didn't mean it. Who didn't mean it? Alan. Oh, my God. Mark. If it's a girl, what do you think about the name Alice? that little bit of music in because I love the music what I'll do if I may Ian is uh, just give a, a few d- basic details and then I'll play the second of, well, I've only got, I'll, I'll only play two clips because of the time element so um, I was about to ask fa- you if you want me to read out uh, the. well you do that then and the then I'll play okay. one more clip 
All right, for those of you who don't know, Marchlands is a five, was a five-part ITV supernatural drama first shown on ITV1 and STV in the UK on the 3rd of February of 2011, telling the story of three different families living in the same house in three different time periods, 1968, 1987, and 2010. The three families are linked by the spirit of a young girl who died in mysterious circumstances in 1967. The first episode has the appearance of a ghost story spanning three different time periods and generations in a single house in Yorkshire. Uh, and of course, the thing that uh, probably drew most of us here uh, was the casting. Uh, Dennis Lawson, which is one of the things that dragged me to it. Uh, Dean Andrews from Life on Mars. And uh, Alex Kingston. Yum. <laughs> and for Doctor Who fans, of course, Stephen Greenholm one of the uh, the writers. The story of it was by David Schultner, I think, but Stephen Greenhorn did this adaption. Of course, he's known Doctor Who for Series 3, The Lazarus Experiment, and um, The Doctor's Daughter from Series 4. Yes. Yeah, so uh, you've, you've got another clip there, Dave. Yeah, I'll play the second clip, yeah. Where are you, Ruth? Where were you? You know where I was. Not where you should have been! I think I better go. You don't have to. I'm changed. What should I do? No. Not like us. Come on, Alex. But don't you see? This is proof. Proof of what? Alice is real. She exists. It's just a little girl's journal. It doesn't prove anything. Okay, um, Willis Girl, are you a bit more uh, a fan with this one? Is it one you've watched or not? Oh, yeah, I, I love this one much, much better. Yeah. Well, then you, you take the floor because we've slightly dominated the audio for a little while, so please go first. Um, I found this particular series to be very beautiful and atmospheric. Um, I love the editing in it. Like, in one scene, maybe you'll see a character in the 60s... Uh, about to pick up a coffee cup, and you, then you see another character from the, let's say, the 80s drinking it. And I, I loved, you know, the editing of it in general, and I also liked the uh, atmosphere of it. It was very creepy. And yeah, they I, did I, that. I, yeah. I was say they did that with the bus shelter, didn't they? The, the young boys waiting at the bus shelter where the, the young uh, husband of the father-to-be uh, was walking to the, the house to do the gardening and then it would swap, and then suddenly a car from a different era would drive down the road. And uh, uh, the the way that they helped you uh, picture the houses was by the different cars that were outside it. I mean, it really was um, slightly reminiscent, I think, to me, and certainly probably to Ian, was of the way that uh, Jekyll was edited together. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking. And I think uh, one of the actors in, in this particular show was in Jekyll. Was it Dennis Lawson? Yes. Ah. Yes. Oh. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yes. Uh, the, <laughs> There's much fan wankery going on here with me yeah. as far as Dennis Lawson goes. I'm. Quite, I think I'm the, the 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 key member of the Dennis Lawson fan club at the moment. Well, uh, I'm just going to leave my mic a moment because I think he's in something else 
today in oh, this week in the UK. I'm just going to find my paper while Willis Girl carries on. Um, yeah, that, that's that's point, I, I did, sorry, go ahead. Oh, that's about it. Although I, I liked it a lot, and I loved seeing Dennis Lawson, who was Wedge and Tilly's in Star Wars. And I, this, this show was phenomenal. I love the atmosphere and, and all that to it. And that, that's about all I have to say right now. Um, I'm just going to announce at this point that uh, Dara Skeptical uh, has uh, uh, disappeared, uh, as uh, he has uh, nothing to say on 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 Marchlands. Um, so yes, uh, also on on Dennis Law. Well, well, let's let's yeah. thank him for his contribution <laughs> up to to now. I mean, uh, thank you, yes, Dara, yes, for on that. I don't know if he saw that in the text chat before he left or not, but uh, yes, thank you for the yeah, especially being on my side on most of it. <laughs> 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 oh, we're a team. We're a team. <laughs> um, we were just talking about Dennis Lawson, of course. The other wonderful thing about uh, about him is uh, he is a uh, 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 let's see. His sister Diane McGregor is a retired teacher who lives in Perthshire, uh, and she is the mother of Ewan McGregor. Ah. Yes. So. Um, Isn't that cool? <laughs> anyway, uh, back to March. <laughs> uh, now it's just the three of us. Um, I was a little bit let down by the ending. Um, mm. Although the good thing is, uh, as opposed to an outcast, is you were propelled to to watch, compelled to watch this. You know, every you know every episode uh, kept drawing you further and further in. Unfortunately, I found myself, I think, on the uh, the second to last episode, guessing roughly what had happened, uh, which I like to be surprised and, of course. Since I wasn't, it, it kind of left me feeling a little let down. But uh, the production values on it, uh, as well as Girl has already said, and, and they said it, it's gorgeous looking. Uh, the cuts in between time zones were just fabulous and just kind of kept you going. And I like the fact that, um, with the exception of, of the present day storyline, um, the the was it 1967 and and uh, uh, eight, the 1968 eight, and 1987 uh, were in effect uh, completely self-contained stories. Apart from the the history part, you could have actually probably sat there and watched all of the 1987 stuff as one story uh, without needing. You know, to see what was going on in 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 '68 and in 2010, and the same with the '68, you could have um, watched everything up until, of course, the conclusion without watching any of the others. And it was nice to see that that it was almost like they'd filmed three different shows and then combined them all together uh, in beautiful fashion. I mean, it was it was one of those ones where when you're acquiring things. um, by other means, it's a good reason to get the high-quality version um, so that it really does uh, stand out when you're watching it, and it did. Uh, just colors vibrant, uh, the the settings were done beautifully. There was a nice uh, warm kind of orangey 
tone to the to the 87 storyline. Um, it was a very realistic kind of uh, bright, but not uh, a warm bright to, to the 2010 segments. And there was quite a cold blue uh, to the 1968, uh, so there was very definite, you know, uh, color signatures. I think to to each one, and they were all just done beautifully. Uh, it's a good thing. I mean, got to say in England, you guys do period drama really well, and so it showed off with the 1968 part. Um, yeah, it just it just all looked gorgeous, all believable, all just <laughs> yummy. Um, and of course, Alex Kingston being in it and um, seeing bits of her naked and doesn't go uh, <laughs> doesn't go unrespected. <laughs> yes, uh, and of course, I'm I'm a big fan of the '80s as well. So it was nice to see kind of you know the '80s being used as a setting. Dave. Yeah, uh, I was sorry, slightly distracted trying to find that episode of the story that. Uh, Dennis Lawson is going to be in, but I can't. And uh, I was listening to every word you said, so that was, I thought it was brilliantly done. Uh, atmospheric. It was nice to have, uh, although we mainly do about science fiction, this was definitely in the realms of uh, fantasy, not really horror, I don't think. It was more uh, suspense and uh, absolutely executed brilliantly. I, I, I even love the, the sort of uh, the cutout, title sequence but having said that with outcasts which was equally good started that that promised so much and for me didn't deliver marchlands did i think there were only two weak points in the whole uh five episodes one was um uh, when you heard tim talk earlier he said that he'd only seen the first two episodes and so far the the ghost hadn't been seen except we'd seen the odd damp uh uh, handmark. Of course, right. me being as dim as I am, it never reali- I never realised why I was a hand wet because, of course, she'd drowned and therefore she was, the, the, presumably, the body was dripping wet. Um, but the, the first scene, especially watching the high-definition version, where the girl's, the dead body girl's arm came into view uh, as a grey arm, that didn't quite look right. I'd almost would have preferred if it CGI'd that in or, or made it look slightly less uh, real in the room. You know, done some trick that they'd filmed it real, but they'd made it look slightly out of focus or something. Uh, that was slightly weak. Um, and the other one was the ending was a slight disappointment. Not because I expected the uh, the mother now... Uh, going to the lake, uh, carrying the young baby Alice of the the you know the 2010 woman's baby. Uh, I never for one minute thought she was going to kill the baby and all that because she'd a whole life had been focused on achieving it. But once the baby was handed over to its real mother, uh, what I expected was the camera to to then focus in on her relief and the husband comforting her, and while they were self-involved and realising how much because their their word had almost come to a split remember Uh, the husband had found out that his affair as a young boy with the deaf girl um, had led to a baby and of course in one sense that was a a red herring to the story because um, we the the young deaf girl was pointed out a few times and she'd left a couple of things on the gravestone um, and um, 
we thought she was going to really reveal a big secret about the death where uh, uh, although she did in, in many ways a lot of the secret she was keeping was the fact that she'd uh, had a, a baby that had been almost stillborn with this man so while they were focusing on that i almost expect that that um, the mother having now had some sort of conclusion to her 40 odd years of misery i basically expected her to walk straight into the water and join her daughter and and i think that's how it should have ended i think whether that is too predictable i don't know but i think that's how it should have ended and um but uh, the the other thing, and I think you'll have to remind. I don't think you mentioned about the casting of it, but um, the 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 father in the 1968 one, played by this said Dennis Lawson, um, it's it's his um, um, what's the word dalliance that had caused the whole situation to the chain reaction. Uh, <laughs> I love the way his wife had said to him when. Um, when she's talking to um, uh, the girl that comes in and they said, uh, there's been a fight, my husband, you know, I've seen this lad beaten up. And she said, well, um, uh, your husband attacked him because he'd been telling tales about you. And then the Dennis Lawson character says, he was defending your honour. And then the, the mother says, um, something happened. I can always tell. And then she looks right. at the Dennis Lawson character and the, look, the sheepish look over his face does she know about that? Yeah, yeah. I thought that yeah. was brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Um, the other good one was um, uh, we we do like um, uh, our, uh, Dean Andrews' character, and uh, when he got the vicar in, and they sneak the vicar up to the bedroom to sort of sanctify the girl's bedroom, <laughs> and then the Alex Kingston character walks in, she gets holy water splashed all over her. And the, there was another good thing Nothing as wrong well. With that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The other good thing was the the brother, the girl's brother, who was basically completely ignored in all this. Uh, he kept uh, having these uh, attacks, and the implication was is 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 the ghost trying to do something to him? But in actual right. fact, it turned out that he had epilepsy, epilepsy. Uh, and they were so concentrated on helping their young daughter with this, uh, you know, the social services were coming in and, you know, mm. you know what the social services will do, they'll split the family and this, and, the so, and this poor lad gets completely um, uh, sidelined, Ignored, you know. Yeah. It, yeah, this bloke's got a serious illness. But it, it served both as a possible red herring to this ghost, was the ghost having more influence than they thought. Remember, right. there's the scene in the bath where he has his first attack. And... Mm. Uh, the fact that this poor lad is going unnoticed. Um, so on a lot of levels, uh, I just felt as though it was set up so brilliantly that the we the ending should have been stronger. But that is, uh, I mean, it held me all the way through, all the way through. I loved it, loved it to bits. We've just lost Willis Girl. Um, I don't know whether she'll be able to make it back in. Um, well, perhaps working, over the so. three-hour mark, we ought to draw a line of it. Uh, they've all right. come down I, to that C23. <laughs> the illness um, I, just, I just want to uh, backtrack onto, onto your comments about Dean Andrews. Um, <laughs> for one for one thing, he was uh, very nice, and uh, I happened to mention that uh, I'd started watching Marchlands, and, and he was really good, and, and uh, he asked that uh, you know, I'd promote it within the show and stuff like that. He actually tweeted me, so that was really, really cool. Um, 
I haven't been tweeted at by many uh, TV stars or anything, but he's, I follow him on Twitter, and he's a genuine, gen, seems to be a genuinely lovely man who uh, has always lovely things to say about um, everybody and the shows that he's in, and, and just family in general. He just, you know, he comes across as being a really nice guy, and he was great in this, and great as a father. Um, Alex Kingston is, is the mother. Um, she was a little colder, a little, um, you know, more... She wasn't as as likable, uh, but but they they loved it all on on the Dean Andrews character, who, who would basically do anything to help his daughter, and so he's the one who researches and, and finds out about Alice and and figures that it's a ghost, and 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 it's just lovely. The, there's a scene in there where he uh, he goes into touch his daughter and, and and he just sits with her for a while and, and by the side of the bed and talks to her and, and it's just it's lovely um, I did not think I thought I'd have difficulty um, disassociating him um, with his character from, from Life on Mars and Ashes to Ashes but no he, he made me a complete believer in, in, in this role and uh, I think he's one of the high points in it um one of the problems I did have with the ending of it is that everybody seemed to say that, you know, like I said, the, 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 we found out the boy had epilepsy, so it wasn't actually Alice's fault that no. uh, he was having these epileptic fits. But what about the cat? You know, yeah. the cat got drowned. I, I, I was quite upset by that whole thing because, I don't know, I just, uh, if anyone heard me talking about. Uh, um, was it The Walking Dead, where the horse gets dragged down and eaten uh, by the zombies? I found that really quite in, in, in poor taste. Uh, turned my stomach. But same with the cat. I I thought, what was the point in that? Well, I think that was um, and also at the end. Was... Well, at the end, did they say that that she wasn't bad? That Alice wasn't bad? But what about the cat? It's a perfectly lo- lovely little kitten, and and then it gets drowned. You know, she wanted a pet. Her own, her own ghost pet, but no, that. But that, that was one of those things. That was, uh, yeah, back it was looking back on it. It's like, yeah, oh, you know. yeah. Um, and of course, what oh, the, we forgot to mention Anne Reed. The casting, yeah, the casting Reed, of the lovely Anne Reed in this. Um, just fabulous. Of course, she's been in a, a, a couple of Doctor Who episodes. And she's probably she's just, just a wonderful actress, um, like Anne Reed. Yes, yes, I do. Uh, <laughs> and the and the 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 Death Girl's mother. That um, you know is the one found in bed. That that one that starts the whole sequence in both. Because um, what happens is the deaf young deaf girl dares the girl to knock on the door, and she actually goes into the bedroom. And uh, the the woman is actually uh, an actress. Is it Jennifer Hennessy? Who Jennifer we were, Hennessy, who was in Gridlock, who, and which we, we just did a commentary on. Yeah. And uh, coming to that, she looked quite different in it. But uh, yes. yeah, ex- excellent. Um, we're probably well, um, um, aside well, from the ending, it was a good it was a good show. I liked it. It was a nice little mini series. Uh, one of those things again that that the Brits do well do these nice little pieces of of good quality uh, TV drama and and then step away and go. We're done with that. It's it's done. But that said, the premise of this of of Marriage Lines is actually um, uh-huh. American. 
uh, from a, a, a pilot for a TV series uh, called The Oaks. And so, um, how much of uh, of uh, David Schulner's uh, work remains in this? Uh, Stephen Greenhorn, as we said, wrote it. David Schulner wrote the original story uh, for The Oaks. Um, again, I'm not entirely sure at which point uh, Stephen Greenhorn departs from from the original story. But uh, uh, thanks to them both for 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 this um, coming out and actually making it onto our screens because. The Oaks never did uh, take off in, in uh, the U.S. The pilot was aired, uh, but that was it. Mm. Yeah. Well, there's a nice symmetry actually about today's show in these the fact that we've linked together, um, you know, Outcasts and Marchlands, not just because they're both British sci-fi with that American connection, admittedly, but um, Outcasts I felt was um, flawed, but had a very st- a strong ending and. Um, almost deserves a second chance and and marchland that was top notch but perhaps slightly disappointed on the ending so there's a a little bit of symmetry there uh in the two uh we've really tried to cover an awful lot this week we assume that you've probably uh made it to this far by listening to us in chunks um uh, we absolutely must just mention that all throughout this cybob has stayed loyally uh, listening to the show, uh, Cybob, can you just put in text which for you was the the standout one? Was it? Would your vote go to, for Outcasts, Marshlands, or both? Um, and of course, we've we've had um, a basic uh, catalogue of uh, deaths during the course of this episode, and uh, <laughs> Ian and myself are the only two men standing. We drunk the rest under the table, as it were. Yeah, there you go. Uh, and Cybob says March, Marchlands uh, was is definitely uh, actually um, earlier, and nobody picked up on it. But Cybob did say in the text chat that he uh, ah. couldn't get past the second episode of Outcasts. Um, do, do I mean I'm, I'm not to twist your hammer or anything, but if you get the chance, and you know, not a priority, but do try and uh, knock another couple of episodes off here and there. I think it's worth staying to the end of it. I mean, you know now that it's just a, it's a contained little thing and and you're not going to waste too much time by trying to get into it knowing that there's an end in sight, you know. Uh, if you get the chance, just yeah, give it a try. It's it's not all bad. It's not all bad, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. He says, maybe I'll try later on. But yeah, The, produ- the production things. values are, are, are good. It's just that some of the characterizations seem... Uh, I mean, in one way, um, uh, and again, we've said all this is spoilers, one one reason I was thinking that it was going to... I'm talking about Outcast now, not Marshlands, just for clarification. Um, that the reason why these people had acted, to my mind, slightly illogically, was it was going to turn out that they were all ACs. And the re, you know they hadn't really got the human idea of how to behave. And that was going to explain some of the bad lifestyle choices, decisions that some of them seemed to be making. But right. um, we just found out that the uh, the Fleur character was an AC, and, and it definitely um, they'd set it up for um, a part two, and maybe they could do it. But I've, I've got a feeling that it would be on a quite reduced budget, and they might have to. Maybe if the DVD sales, our Blu-ray sales, do well, that might encourage them. But I absolutely endorse what uh, Dar said. In no way should the people 
who um, took part in that uh, take anything away than uh, really I just think whoever wrote it should have taken a little bit more counsel as to how this and that worked just some of those nuts and bolts needed to be there just to, to make the, the convincing picture that for me wasn't quite there um, but uh, we have been blessed with uh, some good stuff and uh, the Cotton Collective is here to report and give you the unadulterated fandom's take on it all. No matter, even if there's only two of us left in the room. <laughs> <laughs> all right, which we uh, see as a as a sign to sign off. Uh, Indeed. So, uh, without any further ado, thank you all for joining us on this uh, omnibus edition of uh, Dang Doctor Who for bringing out trailers in the week that we were going to be talking about two TV shows. Um, yes, uh, unfortunately, we, yeah, as Dave says, I hope you listen to this in, in chunks. Uh, you can listen to the news, and then a little bit later, listen to the <laughs> the commentary on the trailers, and then, of course, catch up on uh, Marchlands and, and Outcasts. Um uh, but yeah, there's nothing really more to say than uh, it's goodbye from Mr. Dave AC. And it's goodbye from Ian, the Sixth Doctor. Bye, everyone. Goodbye. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.